Welcome, Scotty. Welcome, Rald. Thank you. We got our special guest, Scott Vincent, or he likes to be called Scotty. Scotty. Is that correct? You okay with that? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Beautiful. We got Gerald Seals. Our first official guest, by the way. Cool. Welcome. I feel honored. Thank you. You should. It's exciting stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome. Welcome, guys. How you doing? I feel welcomed. Yeah? (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, no, I feel good. I feel really good. So you're up from L.A., right? Yeah. There we go. Yeah, I feel I feel at home. I just hate L.A. We were, talking, <laughs> we were talking about that before the show, and I just, I'm, I can't do it. Yeah, it's jam-packed, huh? Yeah. Well, what, what, what's your biggest disagreement with L.A., I should say? Oh, it's the traffic. Oh, okay. I mean, and it's, that's cookie cutter. Everybody says that, and everybody says it because it's true. It's horrendous, you know? It's like when I, I was telling Gerald before the, before the show that, if I leave at, you know, six in the morning, it takes me 15 minutes to get to work. But if I leave at eight o'clock and I'm trying to battle traffic, it's an hour. Oh, man. You know, and so, yeah, it's inconvenient and it's stressful, but you you don't really appreciate how much of your life gets sucked away. Mm. Like if you're awake for 12 hours and you're spending two and a half hours in the car of your waking time. Yeah. And you're, you know what I mean? Over the course of years, you're spending months damn, in L.A. Uh, traffic. Damn, that's weird to doing, think. Doing nothing well, except honking your horn and being stressed out. <laughs> well, someone like you, I feel like you would try to utilize that time as much as possible. Do you listen sure. to podcasts or what do you do? You even read because I mean it's dead stop, yeah, right? Sometimes, yeah. So I, um, I don't read because that's unsafe. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I do. I listen to podcasts mostly. I use it as an opportunity to check in with people up here. Huh. To like call friends and family that I don't get to see anymore because I'm living in Los Angeles. Well, um, oftentimes, like I'm pretty strategic. Like I don't like wasting time. Yeah, I don't like being in the car. Like it's just inherently stressful for me. I, it's funny because I love up until moving to LA, I loved like going on a long drive and going up to the mountains or even driving into the city was never that bad. Mm-hmm. But now it's just so. So bad, so stressful all the time. It's like detrimental to my, like I can feel my heart beating through <laughs> my chest and I'm like angry by the time I get to work. Uh. And, and so I'm pretty strategic. So I wake up early. I mean, and I already wake up, I wake up early for a whole bunch of other reasons. Yeah. But um, in doing that, I avoid most of the worst of it uh. now, um, which is funny because I say that my least favorite part of LA is the traffic, but I've actually adapted to it fairly well. Hmm. So maybe I'm just resentful. And bitter. <laughs> <laughs> so what makes it so bad? Is it like there's hella accidents? Is there just bad drivers? Um, it's just a. there's only so much space on the planet. You know mm. what I mean? And yeah. there's too many people in Los Angeles. There's yeah. too many people in too small of a space. All And, you know, public, public transport, like public transit's not that good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you want to get from, you know, the like Hollywood to the west side, you know, you either got to do like three bus transfers or two bus transfers and uh, um, and get on the subway. I don't even know the sub, the train, tram. I've never taken it, so I don't know. Um, but the bus system's not great. The train huh. system's not great. And everybody, um, I don't know, man. It's like there's not, I was driving in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So Courtney and I, we went to Arizona for uh, a week for a business trip for her. And I'm like, man, why is everybody letting me in when I put my turn signal? <laughs> you know, like why? Why is like I've got so much space in front of me and behind me. I have like a little bubble while I drive down the highway, and this is like traffic. It's different. Huh? It's like eight thirty in the morning on yeah. a Tuesday. Wow. And and there's plenty of people on the road, but it's an 
it's like a six lane highway each side. Uh, mm. And so when you have more people that aren't stressed out with more space to move, everything's better. Yeah. And in Los Angeles, you got more people. Or sorry, when you got more people, more space, everything's better. But in Los Angeles, you have way more people. You got no space whatsoever. Mm. The roads are terrible. People don't know how to drive in the rain. So if it sprinkles a little bit and it hasn't rained in forever, then all the oil comes to the surface. It yeah. gets super slick. There's one accident. If you get one accident on like the 405. Oh, God, it's over. In the morning, traffic is done for the day. Damn. Like, don't, like the, whole, the whole day, traffic will be bad. Damn. So what would you say the best part of living in L.A. is? Opportunity. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, again, kind of cliche, but there's so much. There are so many people, and there's so much happening. And there, um, I think just as a byproduct of there being more of everything, it's kind of easier to, like, happen into an experience that's really cool or mm. happen into an opportunity or meet the right people. It's, so for like networking and you know for what i do so i'm in school so that's my favorite part and that's the only the only reason i'm there yeah. really um and just i mean i would be getting into sort of the dynamics of the school at that point let's touch I, on what you do actually real yeah. quick and then we'll get into that yeah so so what what do you do scotty so i'm i'm <laughs> a i'm a phd student in neuroscience at ucla okay so i um i'm the department i'm a part of is uh integrative biology and physiology and I'm a, a chronobiologist and sleep researcher, which means I study circadian biology, the body's you know internal clocks that exist at every cell throughout your body and have basically have control over every growth and metabolic program throughout your person, right? So kind of important stuff. Sounds really <laughs> and really I, intimidating. <laughs> and then I and, and then I also study the basic mechanisms of um, the basic mechanisms of sleep. So uh, you know we know that sleep's important. But uh, the hows and whys of sleep are just a total black box. Like the, the field in general has a couple of uh, clues as to why sleep emerged as a, I mean, this is, this is kind of an interesting thought experiment. You know, you think of every, everything that we've evolved to do as an adaptation, mm -hmm. right? Mm, yeah. So if everything is an adaptation and that it gives us, uh, a, gives us an opportunity to succeed in the environment that we're in, why and and most of what humans evolved around is you know uh, procreating and mm -hmm. eating and defending ourselves so that we could survive. Mm -hmm. Why would we adapt to be vulnerable and asleep for ten hours a night? Hmm. Right? Why would we adapt of a biological function so that every single night we were unconscious and vulnerable to predators? We mm. weren't collecting any food and we weren't procreating. Damn. So, so the, there's a, there's a famous researcher that says, um, hmm. you know, sleep is if if sleep doesn't have a function, it's the the biggest. Mic go out. There. No, you're yeah. good. Okay. If sleep doesn't have a function, it's the biggest mistake that Mother Nature ever made. Hmm. It's a waste of time. Yeah. It's a waste of time. 100%. It's and it's it makes us vulnerable. Hmm. So all all that said, the field sort of agrees that. Um, sleep is important. If you don't sleep, eventually you'll di you'll die. Yeah, I mean it's it's really that <laughs> number simple. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and there are all sorts of things like uh, reducing inflammation and conserving energy and in increasing memory performance and all that kind of stuff that we know to be very important. But nobody really knows why sleep emerged because everything every every living animal sleeps. Yeah, but everybody sleep everything sleeps differently. Yeah, mm -hmm. so. 
my job and one of my jobs as a researcher is to is to help contribute to our overall understanding of why and how sleep happens because we we don't understand really why it happens and we also don't really understand how it happens like yeah. somehow the somehow the brain is able to like keep track of how long you've been awake and magically make you sleepy right and people never think about this yeah. but why is it that after I'm awake for 20 hours that I need to go to sleep more? Like, how does the brain, is it like a bean counter? You know what I mean? Where it's like every minute is a, is a point and it's accumulating a certain number of things. And then after a certain point, and then we kind of think that's how it works. Cause if you, if you stay awake for a long time, you have these biological indicators that you have really high pressure to sleep. We know it is sleepiness, right? If I'm up for 24 hours, I'm a mess. Yeah. You know what I mean, everything's kind of starting to go wrong. I'm not, I'm not quite there <laughs> mentally. And I'm, and I'm exhausted. My whole body is like yelling at me to sleep. Magically, when you sleep, whatever is creating that experience for you, mm. it dissipates. It goes away. Damn, dude. I've never right? thought about it like that. And so that's a really interesting biological question that, you know, some of the great... The 2017 Nobel Prize in Medicine was awarded to circadian biologists for their uh, contributions to our understanding of circadian biology and how mm. it affects sleep. But nobody at all has any clues about really how um, what we call the homeostatic process of sleep works, Damn. which is how the body sort of corrects to this yeah. homeostasis. Well, that's one thing I've always been curious about because I did it today. I was like, okay, I need to wake up at 6.30. Right. I set an alarm for 6.50 just in case, but right on the dot mm -hmm. with no alarm, I woke up at 6.30. And I've known other people who have like mm -hmm. similar experiences do you have any insight on why, like how, man, how does that happen? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we, we could go down. <laughs> yeah. Let me and, ask a much more simple okay, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that, I think. Because this is one I'm sure everyone wants to know. <clears throat> how many hours should you get to sleep every night? Is yeah. I hear eight hours. I hear six hours. You know, people like Beyonce stay up for like three days because they're working so hard. Man. Which Beyonce, is probably not good. Beyonce is not doing anything for her health if she doesn't. <laughs> uh, okay, so everybody wishes, everybody wants there to be like a very simple answer to that question. Of course. Um, there, uh, there isn't one, you know? And uh, what I can say is that uh, when you're younger, you tend to need more sleep. Mm. So the fact that high school students still got to like be at school by 8 a.m., and oh man, there's so many ways to go with this. All right, so can I can I give you some like base knowledge yeah, real quick? Go on, all right, all right, go for all it. Right. <clears throat> so we do know that even even though we don't know exactly why sleep occurs, um, we do know that there seem to be these two different systems that contribute to sleep happening, or that contribute to wakefulness happening. They basically mm. determine whether we're active or resting. Okay? okay, those two systems are called the circadian process or the homeostatic process, okay? The circadian process um, is really talking about, um, well, every, every single cell throughout your body, every single cell. I mean, you, you, you have something like 100 trillion cells. Every single one has this genetic clock, hmm. right? And I mean that literally, like it has the ability to keep track of a 24-hour period. On itself, you take cells out of a person, you put them in a dish, they will express certain genes in a rhythmic 24-hour period Damn. on their own, inde Damn. independent of any light. What the fuck? 
this is this is like our the the strongest evidence of our adaptation to this earth right this particular uh, environment yeah what's the single most defining feature of our entire environment it's our relationship to the sun oh, yeah. without light they yeah, have I mean, a 24 hour clock yeah they do it on their own interesting yeah so so the 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 biophys the biology of it is a, is like such a trip so basically um Nuts. these these uh proteins get expressed and they go uh, they, I'm trying to keep this real simple. <laughs> Basically, there are these molecules that bind together and accumulate in a particular position. And then um, once enough of them accumulate in one position, they enter back into the nucleus of the cell uh-huh. and they suppress other gene expression. Uh, right? Yeah. And they accumulate. The time in which they accumulate happens predictably in 23.8 hours or 24 hours, depending on the person. So they... Wow. So, once you get to a certain point of having enough of this dimer in one place, um, certain genes get turned off. Yeah. And that the amount of time it takes to do that is predictably 24 hours. Wow. So shit, shit is trippy, man. Yeah. As a, as a, anyway, so, so you have this, you have these clocks, right? Throughout your body. Yeah. Every single cell. And these clocks are, critical like massively important for everything right they determine everything they determine the timing of all of uh, your hormonal programming all of your metabolic programming every growth program when you're in development like every bit of it is locked in and determined by these clock genes okay Mm -hmm. this core molecular clock so my question to y'all is if everything can keep track of time on its own how important is it that each of those clocks knows it's the same time? Right? Because keeping track of a 24-hour period is different than knowing that it's a particular point in that 24-hour period. Uh. So, right, you can have a clock and it can be set to the wrong time. It's still keeping track of a 24-hour period, but its watch is set differently. Yeah. So if the three of us have our clocks at three different hours and we say show up at 8 a.m., Two people are fucking up. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Huh. So the point is, is what's, mm. what's critical for human health is that the entire body knows that it's the same time of day. Huh. And I can get into some other stuff because this is like, this is my baby. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this, is, this is everything that I care about. And yeah. this is why I'm wearing these glasses right now. And I'll yeah. get into that later. Um, but so the thing that controls all of these little tiny clocks in each of your cells is the activity of this one master clock in your brain and part of your um, hypothalamus called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, right? Mm-hmm. One more time. Suprachiasmatic <laughs> nucleus. It's called the SCN, the SCN, <laughs> right? And um, so the in your eye, in the back of your eye, you've got your retina. Yeah. Okay? And on your retina, you know, you've got different photoreceptors, right? Mm-hmm. You got rods and cones that help you see color and, and distinguish light from dark, and, and those things are critically important. But the the eye also has non-visual photoreceptors, right? So these things that receive light, but we don't use that light to perceive our environment. Oh, whoa! Right? Yeah. So this trips trips a lot of people out, and this is where you and I were talking earlier about how some people in ophthalmology are maybe resistant to these new ideas. Mm-hmm. Because they went to med school, you know, 30 years ago, and this mm. information wasn't available to them 
then yeah. and they're sort of ingrained in the dogma that they were taught makes mm-hmm. right they have this one you know very narrow paradigm of the way the world works not no offense to the people you worked for i don't no yeah, yeah of, it, course, of course yeah i mean but i'm just i'm just saying like i i have i i was gonna go to med school mm-hmm. i was pre-med at ucsd i was on track i was killing it i would have gotten into med school somewhere and i had this um getting way this is way tangential Feel free, man. That's the re- all we the, do re- the reason I didn't go to med school is because I feel like most clinicians, not all clinicians by any means, most clinicians are trapped in this old genetic anatomical paradigm that limits their ability to receive new ideas. Mm-hmm. 100%. And as a researcher, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm constantly, like I'm reading papers that got published yesterday. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm reading stuff that has been in the, in, that has been produced you know, in the last couple of months, that is incredibly cutting edge. So anyway, so you have these two, you have these two different receptors, and there's more, I think, but there's neuropsin and melanopsin, right? Melanopsin has been in the news a lot lately because of the whole blue light thing, right? So melanopsin is um, activated by a narrow spectrum of, of blue and green light and some UV light, I think a little bit. And what, and neuropsin receives UV light, which is this whole other thing. A lot of people think UV light is bad. Well, if it's bad, then why do we have a receptor in our eyes that is meant to receive it? And, you know, whatever. We can get into that later. But melanopsin, in the presence of blue light, sends uh, a signal. Uh, It's a retinal ganglion cell. And so it sends a signal directly to the SCN, Mm. right? Directly to your brain's master clock, Mm. right? Because, okay, so getting into a little bit of physics here. You have the visible light spectrum, everything from blue to red. Right. Mm -hmm. Blue light is a short wavelength, uh, high energy light. Red light is long wavelength, low energy light. They interact with the atmosphere differently. So the sun never changes. The sun is doing its thing. I mean, the sun changes a little bit, but the the type of light we get from the sun basically never changes. What Mm -hmm. changes is our relationship to it and the atmospheric conditions above us. Mm -hmm. So when the sun, when, when, Light is coming in, blue light scatters most easily, which is why the sky is blue, right? Mm. It interacts with molecules in the atmosphere most easily and scatters everywhere, right? Red light is a longer wavelength, and so it does not scatter as easily, which is why red light just comes straight through. And when, you're, when the sun is at the horizon, right? It's why you can look directly at the sun when it's rising, but you can't when it's up in the sky because huh. the only thing, the only light that's coming through is red and infrared light. That's why the sunsets look red, sunrises look red and orange. The sun, sunrise this morning was beautiful, by the way. It was. It was nice. Um, I missed it. <laughs> that's why we woke up early this morning, too. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so you have this pathway, right, through which your body interacts directly with your environment. And your environment tells you what time it is. That mm-hmm. blue light suppresses melatonin. Because if you think about it, Everything that we are, all of our biology is just an adaptation to the environment that we evolved in, yeah. right? Humans came out of Africa, right? And so in the middle of the day in Africa, it's like massive blue light, massive blue light. When you're at the equator, mm, yeah. the strongest daytime signal is a high spike of blue spectrum light, right? It's the most reliable daytime signal that you can give your body. Huh. So... This master clock, when it receives this blue signal, or when in the absence of the blue signal, it generates melatonin, right? 
So when blue light is gone, in about an hour and a half, two hours, it begins to be, begins to secrete melatonin, begins to activate the the um, uh, the endocrinological sy- system and secrete melatonin. Melatonin goes throughout the body, mm-hmm. right? So and that's true for a number of different hormones. So that means that over a twenty four hour period, the hormones that coordinate all of your individual clocks, right, are determined by what's happening at the eye. Hmm. Right? Shit's crazy. Yeah. So when you're on your phone at 10 o'clock at night and you've gotten those, I mean, you look at a, you look at a, what's known as a spectrogram, which basically just tells you the power, the power spectrum of a light input. And it'll show like, you know, red has this much power and blue has this much power. If you look at a spectrogram of um, any cell phone or laptop or computer, or TV, or fluorescent bulb, or LED, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Massive spike of blue light. So that means when you're looking at your cell phone at 10 o'clock at night, you're, tell, you're telling your body that it's noon on the equator. Don't go to sleep. Right. Uh, you're saying wake up, which gives this crazy mismatch. Like you, you have this mismatch then with the rest of your body because you're quiet, you're relaxing, you're not active. And all of a sudden, you're telling your body that it's noon on the equator. And you are dramatically, yeah. like, significantly fucking shit up. Huh. So you, so do you think over time, because like you said, we all adapt to these things, right? And that's the reason why we've adapted to this clock is because we've lived on this earth for God knows how long. Um, do you think over time with these new generations who are, are being exposed to cell phones and screens and stuff like this, eventually we're going to completely offset our clock enough to kind of throw us completely out of whack? What do you mean by completely out of whack? So I mean, like, we're we're way out of whack already. So do you think it's like not necessarily far beyond repair, but where do you think we are as a culture right now? Super fucked. Super fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you think about this, right? People got to be at school at eight. Yeah. No matter what happens when they're on their phone and when they go to sleep, they got to wake up at a certain time. So they might fuck themselves up throughout the day, but as far as like their schedule of when they have to do what they got to do, you'll be set by time. But I think, uh, isn't that the kind of whole point, though, is if we're waking up at these times, some of our recept- like cells and stuff are on that waking up at 8 o'clock time schedule. But since we're being thrown off by all these different signals, it's... Yeah, I mean, there's... So, it's complicated. So, that's just one part of how sleep happens, mm-hmm. right? That's your body's ability to keep track of a 24-hour period. Mm-hmm. So, I want to come back to that question and answer one other question. Uh, give a little bit more background information real quick. And I'm going to come back to that because I think this will help. So you have this circadian process, which keeps track of a 24-hour period. If in your natural environment, when you're waking up with the sun, you're you're beginning to rest with the sun going down, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That is uh, really predictable. You have a really strong circadian signal because you're connected to an environment. You're connected to the natural turnings of the sun, okay? Um, You know, the bad version of that is, you uh, wake up at 7 a.m. because you got a job, right? You, uh, the sun is, is already up by the time you get in the car. You missed the sunrise. You drive to work. You get to work. You sit under fluorescent bulbs until 5 o'clock at night. You're not connected to the environment at all. You're not getting any real sunlight. You get off of work. Sun's still up, right? You drive home. Sun's beginning to set. You get inside. You turn the TV on. You got all the lights on in the house. So all day long, 
all day long. You're giving your body the signal. It's noon. It's noon. It's noon. It's noon. It's noon. And what happens over time is you get you get massive dysfunctions in your hormone function, like massive dysfunctions. You know what I mean? Like you and you it's we can go into mitochondrial health in a little bit. And I think that's really, you know, that's something that I think is the most important part of medicine right now that nobody's talking about. But um, so that's one component of it. The other component of it, your body, we talked about this earlier, your body can magically keep track of how long you've been awake. And that seems to be a completely separate process from your ability to keep track of what time it is, mm-hmm. right? Because whether or not it's, you know, eight in the morning or four in the afternoon, if you've been awake for 30 hours, you're tired. Mm-hmm. But if it's three in the afternoon, you're probably less tired than if it's midnight, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You've been awake. I don't know. I pulled a couple all-nighters in my day. And once I get, you know, some sunlight on my eyes and it's 10, 11, noon, whatever, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm not good, but I'm, but I'm all right. Through. I'm better. I'm up. better, right? Mm-hmm. But as soon as, the, as soon as it gets dark, <laughs> out. Yeah. It's cookies, bro. Like, I'm like <laughs> no, no chance whatsoever. Yeah. So those two processes interact. And when those two interact, they determine whether you're going to go to sleep or you're going to be awake or everything in between. Okay. There's all kinds of problems. There's, I mean, it's, and so this is, this is finally getting back to Gerald's question. How long should we sleep each night? <laughs> right? So it's, it's very complicated because it's based on your personal experience. It's based on your age. It's based on your overall health. It's based on where your family came from. It's based mm-hmm. on the lighting environment that you exist in. Right. It's based on how much exercise you get. Right. So so to be able to say wow. it's based on your diet. Right. Like to, to, to the like to be able to say, like, you should get eight hours of sleep every night. That's probably close to an average. If you think about everything for all people. Yeah. And if you are actually getting eight hours of sleep a night, you're doing way better than ninety nine point nine percent of America. <laughs> the yeah. rest of us. Right? Seriously. Really, though, because it's it's. So I was going to say this earlier. If you get on your phone, which basically everybody does, something like 5 million cell phones in the United States of America or something. No, it's more than that. 50 million or something crazy. It has to be more than 5 million. Yeah, yeah sure. I was, I was, that, that number's wrong. There are a lot of cell phones in America. <laughs> <laughs> that, is my, that is my formal opinion. Um, if you're looking at your cell phone at 10 o'clock at night, your body's not producing melatonin until midnight. Hmm. So melatonin, aside from being this sleep hormone, it's also the most powerful antioxidant that your body has to offer you. Mm. So in a natural world, you should be, if the sun sets at seven, you should be producing melatonin by eight, eight thirty, nine. Okay. Oh, okay. And you should have melatonin production go until first light, 6 a.m. So we're chronically depriving ourselves of the strongest antioxidant that the body has to offer every night by three or four hours. We're cutting our dosage in half every single night. You wonder why diseases like, man, Parkinson's, Huntington's, multiple sclerosis, cancer, diabetes, um, obesity, schizophrenia, depression, um, any cardiovascular disease, all of those things are worse than they were last year, than they were the year before that, than they were the year before that. Mm. It's because we have a fucked up relationship to our environment. We spend trillions of dollars on medical research based on this genetic anatomical paradigm that has basically yielded nothing. And I mean that, like, think, think about it. What diseases can we treat? A cold. (laughs) 
<laughs> really though, like it's, and <laughs> it, you, you you ask this question to to clinicians, and they're like, oh, there's sickle cell anemia, you know, maple syrup urine disease, like a couple of other things that are like genetic, and we can predict them based mm. upon genetics. But like cardiovascular diseases, that, we're not treating that. We give people blood thinners, right? Uh, it's not, we're not treating the heart. We're treating blood. We're treating the symptoms, right? Yeah. Like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. Multiple sclerosis. Well, wasn't there just like a sorry to cut you yeah, off? No, wasn't there just a breakthrough on like the HIV? There's like something in HIV where they're able to cure someone. Oh, interesting. Recently, okay. So um, autoimmune disease is a whole other way different. Field. It's not. It's not different. It's definitely involved. Uh-huh. Um, I I I'd be interested in reading more about that because I don't I don't know if frankly I don't believe it. It's like the second person that they've ever supposedly cured. Yeah, you look into it after. Okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, a, a sample size of of two for me. For, <laughs> Out of millions for, of people. Yeah, I mean, really, though, like for, yeah. for a disease that affects hundreds of thousands of people every year. Yeah. Like that's that uh, that sounds like an accident. Mm-hmm. Right. And, it, and I'm not saying that those researchers aren't making headway um, or that what they found isn't important or that that person's life hasn't been changed in an amazing way. Yeah. But... There's no statistical power there. Makes sense. Do it for one person. Okay. You know, it's like, I mean, a thousand, then I'll. Right. You know what I mean? Like, show me, show me something that, that, um, uh, removes the disease without affecting any other part of their health negatively Mm. and does it, you know, you know, for a hundred thousand people. Yeah. And so my point is that like, these things are worse every year. Yeah. And we spend trillion we spent trillions of dollars in researching them. And it's not that people aren't trying hard to, you know, figure this stuff out. It's that we've got a broken paradigm where our relationship to medicine is is fundamentally flawed. The 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 original question, the the sort of premise of all of the research that we do is is off. Hmm. You know, and there's a researcher by the name of Dr. Doug Wallace that um you know, I and, and a lot of people that I look up to think are going to get the Nobel Prize in medicine in the next couple of years because the work that he's doing, he's he's able to predict diseases like Alzheimer's, right? He's able to predict diseases like diabetes. By looking at what? By looking at mitochondrial health, hmm. which is this whole other thing. So I'm going to I'm gonna pause that okay. for just a second because okay. I still don't feel like I've answered your question. <laughs> 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 I'm kind of proud of myself that I keep... Bringing yourself back in. Yeah, it's good for me. I mean, you know that I can kind of. Oh yeah, I love it. That's why I yeah. wanted to have you on the show, man. Because yeah, like good, I'm like that bro. too, you know. It's good, yeah. Once you get rolling, you're, it's passion. It's passion. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I am. I'm really like my whole. I'm very. I really. I put. I put my life into this. And one. And, one thing I want to say before you continue is I love how that we're everyone in general, me and you included, are concerned with who's going to win the Grammys and all this stuff. And, and then we got someone like Scotty who's like, "Oh, we got the dude going to win the Nobel Prize right? coming up. Yeah. That's dope. That's cool. Way more meaningful. Exactly. You know, that's something our we should. World. Yeah. If we all could orient that way, imagine how it would be. Man. Yeah. I mean, that's a tall order, though. Yeah. You know, it's it's. Um, you know, I, I wish personally that that was the case, but. Um, you know, not to not I'm not at all trying to be like pretentious or anything like that, but it takes a lot to get to a place where you can appreciate those sort of advances. Yeah. Um, not that you can't appreciate the consequence of them, but like if somebody had said something like that to me six, seven years ago, I might have like feigned interest or like, you know, whatever, but I wouldn't have understood why it was meaningful, why mm-hmm. what that person was doing was meaningful. You can only sort of understand it if you uh, have taken the time to educate yourself up to a baseline that you get 
the like the weight of the discovery yeah which is like I mean, people spend their whole lives studying like one tiny little part like one type of cell in one part of the brain in one species you know what i mean there are people who dedicate 30 40 50 years Damn. and this is part of why the anatomical approach to disease i think is just fucking wrong you know we have people who are spending hundreds of millions of dollars and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of hours brilliant people brilliant people with incredible drive incredible work ethic and just incredible commitment mm -hmm. we got we got nothing to show for it Damn. we got nothing we got nothing to show for it it's like they're working on the wrong stuff yeah completely because yeah. the prem the premise is wrong mm -hmm. right so so okay my final answer to your question <laughs> is that um whatever amount of sleep you're getting right now you should get more of Huh. That's that's really what it comes down to for me. I think that that's safe. That's safe. A safe recommendation for basically everybody. Yeah. There are certainly people who who are already doing a good job. Maybe the best way is to share it through my anecdote. Like I, um, I wear glasses dorkier than this at night. Like I put on some some frames that are deep red that block all red and uh, that block all blue and green light by a company called Raw Optics, um, and I put those on when the sun goes down. And I've got only incandescent. Well, I've got one fluorescent. I just moved into a new apartment. I've got one fluorescent bulb that I'm trying to swap out. <laughs> but I got all incandescent bulbs throughout the rest of my house. You know Damn. what I mean? So it's all amber lighting. It's it's so comfortable in there, man. It's like so. Uh, it's welcoming. It's so welcoming, man. And as we know in, intuitively, like we walk into a space that's sort of like yellow tinted and and like amber lit, and it, there's something very just like naturally inviting Ooh. about that we walk into a target and it's like oh yeah <laughs> can't see anything i'm gonna have to relight my little bachelor well, pad yeah <laughs> i mean really so so like i so i, I go to bed at, at i try to go to bed at about 10 o'clock every night okay okay and i woke i try to wake up with the sunrise every morning um so for the you know like eight hours nine hours that i'm in bed if i've got good sleep efficiency then that means that I'm sleeping for seven and a half or so hours, hmm. which is not as much as I would like. Mm -hmm. I go to great lengths to track my sleep. This is actually a um, by a company called Aura Ring. You can maybe see inside it. There's a little infrared camera and a wow, um, like a gyroscope inside, so it keeps track of motion, oh, um, like uh, blood, um, vascular constriction, and oh blood gosh. pressure. And so I got an app on my phone, and I go all, I'm all the way. Dude, I love it, man. This is amazing. I got a little app on my... See, I slept like shit last night. But it shows you, like, which stages of sleep, sleep that you were in. Oh, wow. And it shows you your sleep efficiency and all that and your sleep score overall, which sleep. is terrible. And then it shows you your readiness for the day based on your blood pressure and your, your heart rate variability and all that. Um, you can click through that if you want. Um, now you get it. Okay. Yeah, that's, but, that's wild, though. But yeah. so, so I got that ring. It calculates all that. Yeah. Shit. Dude, that's sick. Yeah. <laughs> well, how, how much, if you don't mind me asking? So this, this was a, a gift from my girlfriend's mom. It's 300 bucks. That's an accurate gift, though. Like, yeah. talk about pinpoint, like, something you nailed would it. like. Oh, you she's know, the one, dude. Out the Even park. mom's getting yeah. a dope gift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, sick. I may have dropped a hint. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but still, right? But it's it's really, um, Damn. I, I think that tools like this, if utilized correctly, can give you really interesting can give you meaningful insights into what you're doing right and what you're doing yeah. wrong. Because you can, you can put little tags on each day of like, oh, I had coffee late, or I had a late meal, 
or I exercised or I didn't exercise or whatever. And then you can look at trends in your sleep. So when I had coffee afternoon, I had a sleep score on average of less than 65 or something mm. like that. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I think that. And, and so as a result, like I wake up and I watch the sunrise Yeah, as, as often as I possibly can. And there are very specific benefits of that. Um, well, it, it kind of sets you up for a successful day. For sure. And not to mention, I was telling Gerald, too, it's like you feel like not only are you getting more hours, you feel like ahead of schedule. You're like, oh, this is sick. Because mm-hmm. just for kind of a background for this podcast specifically, uh, we woke up early because I was talking to Scotty. I was like, oh, when do you want to do it? He was like, preferably right after the sunrise. And he wasn't kidding. So when he's talking about all this stuff, like he's dead serious. Like, I'm like shit, I just got back from Florida, bro. Yeah. I'm tired. What are you doing? Yeah. Uh, jet lag is a whole other, yeah. a whole other thing. But, but, but it was nice because I, I don't know if these are incandescent bulbs, bulbs that I have in my house, but I have the hue. Hue lights mm-hmm. where you can change the colors, yeah. But e- either way, when I wake <laughs> even, up, even worse. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> either either way, I have it set to like cor- kind of an orange cool. yellow yeah, yeah. hue. Right. So I, this morning specifically, like I looked out the window and it, the lights inside kind of matched that, Perfect. and it just gave me this like feeling. I was like, damn, this is like really nice. I could do this all the time. Yeah. I don't know if I'll be able to. I'm gonna try though. Yeah. I mean, it's it's to me. I think it's the single most, the the easiest thing that somebody can do to really revolutionize their health, huh. you know, is is improve their relationship to the sun. Mm-hmm. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't, you know, it's not going to, if anything, it's going to make you more productive. Most people are going to become more productive as a result of it, right? Just because the schedule change allows you to do things like miss traffic and it encourages you huh. to wake up early. And people who wake up early tend to be more productive throughout the day. And, and I like, I don't have any sort of like afternoon crash, you know what I mean? Like I... I'm I'm good all day long because I get like I so I work in a lab but I do a lot of grant writing. So whenever I can, I'm up on the roof, just sitting on the roof, writing on my laptop, getting sun exposure. That's what I was going to ask you like for lunch breaks, people should get outside. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, there's a whole other thing about um the light that we exist under changing uh glucose uh, um glucose absorption and changing insulin sensitivity which is a whole, like the rabbit hole goes deep, bro. So if you, like, you're, so, um, man, it's, that'd be like a four-hour podcast. Let's do it, me. man. Like, I'm ready. Part two. I'm ready, man. <laughs> now, bro. Let's do it. Uh, man, so it's, it's, um, your body uh, responds to different lighting environments in different temperatures. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you are able to produce energy in different ways based on the environment that you're in. And that's why, no one diet is successful for everybody Hmm. because the success of a diet is dependent upon your environment. It's dependent upon your ancestry and it's dependent upon your current health. Okay. Because, all right, so here's, I'm going to, I'm going to back up a little bit. The, the current medical paradigm goes a little bit like this. It's anatomical and it's genetic. So, some 500 years ago, you know, people started studying very specific portions of the body, right? And that has matured into the medical field that we have today. You've got specialists for, you got a neurologist, you got nephrologists, you got cardi- cardiologists, mm-hmm. the list goes on. And there's this, this assumption that if something goes wrong with my head, I should go see a neurologist, huh. right? Yeah. But that's never been proven. There's no evidence to support that that's how we should approach medicine. Mm. If there's something wrong with your head, it's equally likely, it's perfectly possible 
And this is all straight from, from, again, Dr. Doug Wallace, who's the leading mitochondrial researcher on the planet. Dude is amazing. Like I would, I, I absolutely look up to him and think he is the greatest thing to happen to medicine in the last hundred years. Hmm. Wow. Like, like, I'm going to look into it. He, he's, he's, he is um, quietly revolutionized and patiently, man. He's been doing the same research for 45 years. Wow. And like not getting the recognition that he deserves. Anyway, <clears throat> um, so it's just as likely that there's something systemically wrong with your body and that your head is just susceptible to what's going wrong. Huh. And so you can study the head as much as you want. You can study the brain as much as you want. You'll never figure out where the headache is coming from because it's not originating in the head. Hmm. Okay. So, so, and it's the same thing with like, it's the same thing with the heart. It's the same thing with the rest of your body, liver, pancreas, whatever. Like it's equally possible that something's going wrong with the entire body or, and that it's being felt or that it's presenting itself because the liver is weaker or somehow more susceptible to that damage. Wow. As an example. Yeah. So there's something wrong there, right? There's very obvious flaws with that paradigm. The other paradigm that we have is this genetic paradigm, which is, uh, so Mendel, um, you know, he was investigating like 500 years ago also was investigating pea plants. And he found that a, a, a subset of genes um, were passed down in this very specific way. It's Mendelian genetics, that you have two copies of each gene. Your mom has two copies. Your yeah. dad has two copies. You know, you, they have you, and you get some combination of the copies that they had. Mm -hmm. And fly researchers, people who do research in, in Drosophila and flies, found that all of the different, you know, um, anatomical anatomical parts of the fly were carried on these genes. And so they said, bam, we figured it out, right? Like, Humans are genetic, flies, mice, humans are genetic creatures. Every anatomical feature that we have can be predicted by our nuclear, uh, our nuclear genome, mm. right? So the DNA that we hear about all the time, right? Yeah. <clears throat> That's in the nucleus. And so people thought, man, we, we got it figured out, right? Like I know that this combination of, um, this combination of codes, these genes in this order mean that Travis is going to look like this and have a liver that does this and have these molecules available to him at these parts of his body and his brain is going to develop in this way. And that's great. But <clears throat> that only is the anatomy, right? So Travis's anatomy could be perfectly fine mm -hmm. and he could be dead. Hmm. Travis, like you could, you can look at a cadaver. Everything is there. Yeah. Everything necessary for life under that paradigm is present. What's missing? Huh. I have no idea. <laughs> energy. No, yeah, I was going to oh, say man. energy, right? Shit. I mean, I was, I was going to say the soul, actually. That's what I was going to say. I mean, yeah. well, now you're getting, <laughs> into, you're getting into sort of the human intuition about these things is yeah. we know that for anything to be alive, it has to be animated in some way. Yeah. And... That animation comes from energy. We don't study energy in medicine, huh. right? Like we study anatomy. The basic thing that makes things live. Right. Damn. So interestingly enough, so all anatomical features, and I don't just mean like a nose and an ear, yeah. but like all the way down to, you know, at the, the systems level and then yeah. at the cellular level and the molecular level, all of those things are part of your anatomy, just at different scales. Yeah. All of that 
exists and is determined by your nuclear genome. Okay. Mm -hmm. In every single cell, every cell, in addition to having this genetic clock in your nuclear genome that determines the timing of everything, mm -hmm. you also have mitochondria. Okay, so mitochondria are the powerhouses of the cell, mm -hmm. so so to speak. Take it back to the basics. Right, right. They're the powerhouses of the cell. Their job is to convert stuff that has been pulled off of food and transported by blood and turn it into ATP. Mm -hmm. ATP, adenosine triphosphate, is just the that's the uh, the currency of the cell. It's what, you know, you generate ATP and then that, that ATP is used to catalyze different functions. It's, it is used to make sure that DNA transcription happens and cellular repair happens and cellular recycling happens and, and all of that. Every cell has somewhere between many hundreds and a couple thousand mitochondria within it, mm -hmm. within it, Damn. hundred trillion cells. Damn. We're talking about oh, like like twenty quint or ten quintillion mitochondria Damn. throughout the body. Shit. Okay. Think about that for a second, and and think about that every single one of these mitochondria, they've got their own genome. Damn. They've got their own DNA. And they are solely responsible for producing every bit of energy that your entire body needs and uses and they are an ancient form of bacteria that we have a symbiotic relationship where they literally evolved inside of us Damn. at the cellular level they cause us Whoa. to pretty much live yeah there's a book by by um nick lane called the vital question that talks about the origins of life we think about like you know what the big the big question in biology is how yeah right? how did life happen why is it that us as multicellular organisms have been able to, and you know, all the things that we evolved from and all the different mammals and other animals on the, on the, on the planet, all these eukaryotic cells, species, how did this happen to us? And why didn't it happen to the rest of bacteria, these single cell organisms, right? And um, there's a whole bunch of different theories about that. We don't need to go into it, but the, what matters is that these bacteria, uh, the current theory is these bacteria, um, at some point were like literally just one time, one cell entered inside of another cell and provided energy that allowed this cell to develop more complicated functions. Damn. And from that came the nucleus and the ribosomes and like all of just that. Just kept going. And yeah. one time. Damn. Talk about destiny. Freak, freak accident. <laughs> one time. And Everything that is multicellular evolved from that one instance. Damn, literally one time because one cell. Shit. Yeah. One time. And... Shit. One time. So everything that's living? Everything every, that's multicellular. Everything that's oh, multicellular. multicellular. So it started yeah, in one that. cell, one mitochondria. Yeah. Boom. Sheesh. Talk about a big bang. I was going to say, I took the word better yeah. out of my mouth. That's sure. a real big bang. So, so this kind of, you know, going back to... Current medical paradigms, tingles. right? Current medical paradigms say that it's about anatomy. It's about genetics. But that's the byproduct but of the... Right. Anatomy and genetics don't predict energy, right? Dr. Wallace has shown over and over and over again that he can predict somebody's disease likelihood on a very specific level based on something called percent heteroplasmy, which is the percentage of your mitochondria 
in a, a part of your body that have mutations or DNA damage. <gasps> Dude, Damn. my mind is getting blown right now. Well, I was going to say this. You say he doesn't get that much recognition. Mm-hmm. Is this because he could possibly fuck over the, yeah. the medical 100%. field? 100%. People are worried about their positions. You know what I mean? Can't, Think he, about how much money. You can't sell his son. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, Shit. Soundbite that right really, now. I mean, can't it, sell the son. It's really that simple. Dude. Like, he, his his paradigm, <laughs> this paradigm, and it's not just his. Write you know, that down. Yeah, Nick yeah. Lane and uh, Robert O. Becker and John Ott and a whole bunch of other, you know, revolutionary scientists that... I hope someday we'll get the... And so a lot of this information comes to me from a guy named Dr. Jack Cruz, Mm -hmm. who's a neurosurgeon out of New Orleans. Um, He has found a way to bring a lot of this information together. Mm -hmm. And package it. And package it in a a way that is really changing people's lives. Yeah. Like I, I sort of went down this rabbit hole as a function of hearing a couple of uh, talks that he gave in Vermont over the course of a couple of years. And he is, um, he was a dentist turned neurosurgeon. So hell of a career right there alone. And then, you know, was doing spine surgeries and, and all that and went up to give a talk at a conference and he was weighing, he weighed like 300 pounds and he stood up and he broke his leg. Oh shit. And he had a couple of people who came to him and, you know, recommended some books and told him, I'm not butchering his story, I'm sure. But um, what ended up happening is he got on the paleo diet, Mm. right? Yeah. And he gained a bunch of weight. Yeah. (laughs) Gained a bunch of weight. Explain paleo diet for... So, yeah. So the paleo diet is... is, uh, The paleo community is this community of people that suggest that in order for humans to achieve optimal health, we should eat in the way that our ancestors did. Yeah, kind of like before manufacturing food and stuff like that. So it's, um, you know, a lot of people take it as just like no grains. Yeah. Right. But a real paleo diet is, is actually like fairly complicated because it's about your latitude and it's about your genetics. And, you know, so people in Africa were eating very different, different things yeah. at the mm-hmm. equator than, you know, especially during the summertime than like people in Northern Europe would be eating in the winter. Makes sense. Right. There's not, you can't grow shit yeah. in Iceland in November. Mm-hmm. So they subsisted on animal fat entirely. Mm. Right? They ate they ate all animal products for the for like five or six months, mm-hmm. and they adapted to that. Right, their mitochondria adapted to that. So he went on this paleo diet, gained a bunch of weight, and then um, basically the short and long of it is he started introducing um, light into mm. his diet, and. Be, came up with this thing called the leptin prescription. Leptin is a, a hormone involved in telling you that you're you're full. Um, and another thing called the cold thermogenesis protocol. And anyway, these ideas revolutionized his life. He lost something like uh, 100 pounds in four months. Damn. Whoa. And aside from that, like experienced a, a massive array of other health benefits as a function of that. And he's been able to provide those same sort of results on a deeper level even to a huge number of people Hmm. Um, because part of the the paleo community is not inherently wrong yeah but there's there's something there's something there for sure but they uh, missed the mark because they are more concerned with 
a diet than they are with a lifestyle. They're yeah. more concerned with diet than they are with environment. Well, I think mm-hmm. the the word diet in general is kind of very misleading because the way I've been thinking about diet re- recently, especially after talking to you a few times, um, is diet goes down to things you listen to, mm-hmm. things you eat, the things you do. Diet is your lifestyle in general because yeah. everything you take and everything you see is technically getting taken in by your body. I'm looking at you, so my diet right now is consistent of raw. Mm-hmm. You know, as weird <laughs> as that sounds, but it's true. So it's like I think that's the where the kind of one of the roots of the problem is. I've never looked at it as a diet as your surroundings and sure. yeah. that deep. I'm like, oh, it's whatever you eat. It's what yeah. you drink. It's- well, it's easy. It's easy to think about that. Yeah. You know, right. Because it's, there, there's you have you interact with it mm-hmm. and it's there. There's such a wide variety of types of food and qualities of food. It's really easy to make this connection, whether it be correct or not, that quality of food and amount of food is going to determine overall health, especially because there's some parts of that that are true. If you eat a ton of canola oil, you're going to get fat. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if, if you eat, if you just jug a bunch of fucking like, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like sunflower oil and you're like munching on candy all day long, like you're not going to be in a good position regardless of of where you live. Right. But (laughs) it's kind of like, um, like, you know, there's this guy, Matt Maruka, I'm going to just keep dropping, you know, names all day long because these people have have been really influential to me. There's this guy, Matt Maruka and other people, I guess, have made this analogy too. Um, But he's the owner of this company, Raw Optics, 19 year old kid, I think 18 year old kid genius. Wow. Way smarter than me. Um, and he, he talks about mitochondria like an engine, right? So you, the, the job of the mitochondria going back to their job is to produce energy. They don't just, I mean, they can actually produce energy on their own without food, but their job is to, um, react hydrogen with oxygen, right? And then create water and heat. And as a consequence of that, that also produces ATP. Mitochondria also produces that, that energy currency of the cell. Um, so it's a hydrogen, we are, it's a hydrogen based engine, just like a car. You know what I mean? Like it takes glucose, carbohydrates and fat with carbon bonded hydrogen and it strips the hydrogen off and it uses that to create energy, right? So Mm -hmm. the food that we take in, the specific type of food that we take in affects the energy that we create. Um, but so the, the mitochondria's job is to create energy throughout the entire body. Okay. So. I kind of lost my train of thought. Where was I going with that? There's a couple different ways. You were talking about the guy who, the raw optics guy? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so Matt Maruka talks about them like, um, like engines. Those are the engines of our body. Yeah. So concerning yourself with food is like having a really nice car and not caring at all about the engine upkeep, mm. but always putting 93 octane in it. Hmm. At, at wow. the end at yeah. the end of the day the quality of fuel yeah. that you provide yourself will matter but not nearly as much as the engine itself like if you have a blown head gasket doesn't matter what kind of fuel you put in your car man if you uh, are missing spark plugs it doesn't matter yeah. what kind of gas you put in your car <laughs> mm-hmm. because the engine itself is non-functioning or is uh-huh. misfunctioning yeah so being cons- like being you know the concerning yourself with the specific type of food you eat is important, but not nearly as important as when you eat, because that's a signal that you give your circadian clock and, um, how much light you get. It's just not, 
Okay, well, so I guess a good question would be, so people hearing this, I think the first thing would be, okay, well, how do I take care of my mitochondria? What can I do? What practices can I put in place to, yeah. to get me there? Because I know you have these glasses on and you have these other things in practice, the way you eat. Right. Um, if there's an easy way to be like, oh, we'll start with this, start with that, start with, you know? Yeah, I think the, the, some of the, the first major action I would recommend for everybody is improving your sleep. Because uh, melatonin is an antioxidant that helps prevent the uh, replication of damaged mitochondria. So basically, melatonin are responsible for repairing your mitochondria. Let's mm -hmm. just keep it simple yeah. like that. Right? So if you're not sleeping well, your mitochondria are going to age rapidly. You're going to have more mutations in your mitochondria that are going to be replicated. And again, if you have... You have um, damage and mutations to your mitochondria and you increase your percent heteroplasmy that I was talking about earlier, which is just the percentage of your mitochondria that are damaged, mm -hmm. you're increasing your incidence of disease. You're increasing your likelihood of that tissue failing, right? And so here's the thing, just briefly, think about the 10 most, um, like the 10 most prevalent diseases in the U S and something like eight of them are about your head or your heart, right? It's mm -hmm. heart failure and, and Alzheimer's dementia and all those other things. Mm -hmm. Humans, what makes us special? Now I'll go back. Uh, gorillas, what make them special is that they, all of their mitochondria are preferentially located in their skeletal muscle. So they're massive, huh. right? They're massive. Wow. The reason that we don't have, you know, massive skeletal muscle is because we preferentially keep our mitochondria in our heart and our head and our head. Damn. Wow. So when you have an environment that is destroying mitochondria systematically, wow. the two things that are going to be affected first are the heart and the head. Exactly. And you look at the, the 10 major, like the 10 biggest killers of Americans just as a sub subpopulation. And almost all of them are about your heart and your head. Damn. That's crazy. That's huge. Wow. So th there's a lot you can do, but the, the, the most important thing is fixing your sleep. Yeah. Do that first. And some people, you know, you might think you're sleeping good, but blackout curtains, blue blocking glasses at night, off your cell phone, hmm. off your TV, off your laptop. Sunsets, turn it off. Sucks. A lot of people don't like it. And at the same time, if you're really asking about how you can optimize your health, and that really is what's most important to you because that's not what's most important to most people. And I, yeah. I have to accept that. That's challenging for me sometimes to have friends and family who are like, oh, I don't feel good. And I'm like, yeah, you should do this thing. And they're like, nah, yeah, <laughs> because I, I like I care, I care very deeply about the people in my community. And I yeah. don't have, you know, I don't have a lot of money to offer. I can't, you know, provide a whole bunch of resources other than this knowledge. And so it's challenging when it's like, hey, I know how to help you. Mm -hmm. I know how to help you. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I will go so far as saying, I promise I can help you. Yeah. Yeah. And then being like, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to stop watching TV. Yeah. That's mad frustrating. Yeah. That's mad frustrating. So, um, the thing that I would recommend, improve your sleep, blackout curtains on the windows, blue blocking glasses, get to bed, but you know, in bed by nine, 10 o'clock, wake up every morning with the sunrise, go outside, watch the sunrise, the specific transition of near and infrared light to more full spectrum lights and yeah. UVA and then UVA and UVB as the sun goes up uh, above you to solar noon. That transition is excellent at, that is particularly adept or particularly equipped at telling your body what time it is, mm -hmm. telling your body that it's time to transition from nighttime to daytime. So 
that would be my only recommendation because I'm kind of hesitant to recommend past that at yeah. some point because um, people tend to get overwhelmed. Uh-huh. You know, if you yeah. if you want to go all the way, like you need to get your whole genome sequenced. You need to find out your mitochondrial haplotype to find out where your ancestors came from so that you can figure out how coupled your mitochondria are so you can figure wow. out what environment they exist best in. So I'm from, I'm from Northern Europe primarily. And so my ancestors uh, did really well in a cold environment. My mitochondria are uncoupled. That means that they create a lot of heat for every unit of energy that they produce, huh. right? So I do really, really well in cold environments with UV light. So I take cold showers. Oh. Huh. I take, I, you know, straight, and I hated them at first, but I start, you know, start at your feet with like lukewarm water then sort of slowly go all the way up the body, make it a little bit colder, slowly go all the way up your body. Now I take 30 minute cold showers. Sheesh. And that's just like, I finally just in the last week gotten to that point. So, and what's happened is like my energy level is through the roof, bro. Like I am, <laughs> I am and I'm, and it burns, and it burns fat at the same time oh, yeah. to keep you warm. And so. All in all, it's like such a such an amazing thing for you. But it's about it's not just about where you are. It's not just about where you came from, and it's not just about the lighting environment, and it's yeah. not just about what you eat. But it's all of those things, which is why this is such a tough pill for especially Americans to follow because we've been indoctrinated by this belief system that if something's wrong with you, you need to take a pill, yeah. right? You need to do this, and because we like instant gratification, we like things to be given to us, we yeah. like things to be simple. Mm-hmm. And the reality of it is, is your body is the most complicated thing on the planet. As far as we know, it's the most complicated thing in the universe, right? So to expect that... To be fixed by The thing that's going to fix you is, you know, an SSRI for your depression that's going to change serotonin activity throughout your entire brain in a non-selective way, that that's going to fix your depression. (laughs) I think intuitively we look at that and we're like, really? Yeah. Like, really? Like, that's like... I evolved, like humans have been evolving at least for the last like two and a half million years. You know, every single, you look at, you look at, there are certain types of algae that are two and a half billion years old and they have circadian clocks in them. Huh. Damn. Everything, every plant, every animal has a circadian clock. Everything on this planet that has a relationship to the sun has a clock inside of it. And the reason that 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 particular algae had this clock inside of it is because when the sun was out, it shouldn't be dividing its cells and replicating its DNA because the sun would destroy the DNA. So when the sun was out, it went below water Mm. to replicate its DNA. Wow. So it had to have this relationship to the sun, this very intelligent relationship to the sun so that it could survive. Mm. And humans are the same way. We need to know what time it is so yeah. that we can do the specific things that protect us from our environment that allow us to capitalize on what's available on our environment and survive. And so when you take a bunch of people and you disconnect them from their environment and you give them a pill that costs a couple thousand dollars a year, you are very, very clearly focusing on uh, capitalism. Yeah. You're very clearly focusing on personal gain. And you are simplifying the human body to the point of absolute stupidity. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Dude, that's huge. This is, my mind's blown right now. I got two more things I need to know. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I know you. No, just, you're good. You're I'm good. Going a whole different. No, it's realm. fine. No, no, no. I'm. I get, yeah, <laughs> I need direction because otherwise I'm just gonna blah 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 blah. Sleep paralysis, bro. Oh, uh, yeah, that's an interesting what one. What the so, hell is going on when I wake up and, you can't and move. it's happened to me like two or three times where I'm like, I know I'm woke, but yeah. I can't move anything. It freaks me the fuck out. That's happened I, to me. I, a I don't know if it's too. because I'm eating the wrong shit. I don't know if it's because I smoke the wrong stuff. I don't know <laughs> what's going on, but. It's freaky. Uh, yeah, it could very well be due to prescription drugs that you're taking or alcohol consumption. Huh. Um, so those are called, um, it, it's called sleep paralysis. And what happens is that the way sleep occurs in every human is that um, it's cyclical. So you have stages of sleep each night, you know. Um, you go. You getting into that truck? Yeah, I'm cracking open my uh, my, my box. Yeah, here. you brought us some treats. Oh, yeah, okay, we got to so, get into this. Okay, so so this is this is by a company called H Factor. Um, this is hydrogen infused water. Um, so this is water that has hydrogen infused to it, and hydrogen um, is an antioxidant that helps protect mitochondria from the damage of free radicals. And the thing is, you got to drink it quick. Oh, you got You got to put it back. <laughs> That's because because hydrogen is infused into it, and as a consumable, it diffuses, right? And so uh, part yeah. of the reason it comes in this vacuum sealed bag is because if you wait too long, all the hydrogen will just leak out. So huh. bottoms up. He wasn't kidding when he said drink it fast. Chug, chug, chug it. Chug, chug. Yeah, and don't burp. Don't burp. Yeah, because you're gonna want to burp. Don't burp. Don't do it. Don't do don't it. Do it. I'd rather someone fart than burp. I don't know why. I, I really, hate, I hate I was burps. burping a little bit earlier in my butt. <laughs> no, that's all I get. I, I just... tried to blow it over here, but <laughs> I, I didn't catch it. So we get, right, we all get. Right, all right. Um, so sleep paralysis. So, so two things. Real, real quick plug. There's a company called H Factor, and there's another company called called Trusi. T R U S I I, and they create these hydrogen consumables that, in my opinion, are are uh, fantastic. There are very few like products that I recommend. Um. Because I really think health is about lifestyle mm -hmm. and personal decisions. But there are a couple of things that allow us to offset the damage of our. So there's that. <clears throat> what was that, bro? Uh, close. Oh, right. <laughs> the silent one. Uh, so, so sleep paralysis occurs um, as a function of uh, your, you basically starting to wake up while you're still in a certain stage of sleep. Mm. So your body goes from, uh, light stages of sleep, like stage one, stage two, down to stage three, which is slow wave sleep or deep sleep, or you have more Delta waves. And then, um, that deep sleep then transitions to REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement sleep. Mm -hmm. And a characteristic of rapid eye movement sleep is that your eyes are closed and you're just, your eyes are moving behind your, uh, the lid of your eyes back and forth, back and forth because you're dreaming, right? So dreaming occurs during REM sleep. One of the features of REM sleep that's, it's an evolutionary adaptation is that our body is paralyzed when we're in REM sleep. So you don't act out. So you don't dreams. act out your dream. Yeah. Mm. It's a, it's a very important function of basic human physiology <laughs> yeah. and sleep. So I can't the, hit anyone. Super right. Hard. No, the problem, and seriously. Uh. So the, so the problem is that, um, when you are REM deprived, right, you will sometimes, uh, no, that's not true. It actually doesn't have anything to do with you being REM deprived. Um, sometimes because of particular drugs or because of alcohol, like prescription drugs even, um, you will wake up while you were in the middle of REM sleep. 
Mm. So you know that experience, it sounds like, where I'm awake, I can move my eyes, and basically nothing else. Mm-hmm. Shit's scary. Yeah. Shit is, shit is not cool, no. like, at all. And so uh, I would the next time that it happens, I would just think about, in this last week, what's my, like, alcohol consumption been like? Mm-hmm. You know, how much have I had to drink? Um, and in this last week, have I, like, am I taking any prescription pills? Like, am I doing anything like that? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would recommend if you were asking me for advice, I would say you need to start taking a sleep journal, right? Like you need to get, maybe even get one of these and then you can just put it in your phone real quick and, and then you would be able to predict in the future how and why it happens for you. But the, the long and short of it is that it just happens as a function of you waking up at the wrong time instead of at the end of REM sleep in the middle of REM sleep. Hmm. Well, yeah. so so dreams in general, then, because um, oh. you said s- sleep journals, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and you, we've had talks about this in the past because I I yeah. love having dreams, and I yeah. used to dream journal myself. Okay. Um, and through the process of dream journaling over uh, two or three months, mm-hmm. not only did my dreams become more vivid, um, but at certain points I could actually uh, I forget the exact name for it, but control certain aspects of my dream. Wow. Lucid dreaming. Lucid dreaming. Yeah. Um, and I, from, That's super cool. Yeah. So I've f- never been able to do that. So from what I, the only reason that I think I was able to do it is because I would make such a point mm-hmm. to write it down in the morning and try to remember every single detail I could. I was like writing paragraphs. Um, mm-hmm. I think my mind was kind of aware, okay, apparently it's important to remember our dreams now. So then tendencies in my dreams and certain things that would happen in my dreams, I could easier call them easy, easier, sorry, it was easier for me to call out certain things that represented dreams. So when Mm. I was in a dream, I could be like, oh, this thing usually happens when I'm in dreams. Oh, shit, there's a dinosaur over here. I'm dreaming. And then I would kind of wake into that experience. Um, so when you're saying dream journals, do you, are you saying something similar to that or more like I slept well last night? I guess dream journals, dream journals, more of a sleep diary than a dream journal. Yeah. Cause I, I really don't like touch on the phenomenon of dreaming at all. Cause uh, nobody knows why we dream, Mm -hmm. you know, like there's some arguments, there are some theories about it. Um, but it's like, it's another one of those things about sleeping where scientists are kind of just like, eh. yeah, yeah, you know, like some some people make the argument that it's about um, sort of organizing the things that have happened in your experience throughout the day, right? Other people have said it's a function of totally random electrical pulses coming up from like the midbrain and the brainstem mm-hmm. up to the cortex and electrical oscillations traveling across the cortex. And because memories, long-term memories are stored in the cortex, those patterns of electrical activation just huh. traveling across your cortex kind of fire. fire off a bunch of random shit. Huh. I, I, I was going to say, I don't, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can't afford to, I don't have the time to care. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like it's interesting to me, but I have, I've never spent any significant time like thinking about it. Uh, I dream pretty much every night. Which is one thing I do know is that dream, having dreams is, a, is an incredibly good sign because if you're in REM sleep, that means uh, there's a significant body of evidence suggesting that without REM sleep, your memory is just trash, huh. right? That there's something specifically important about REM sleep or the transition to REM sleep. There's a, there's a researcher by the name of Dr. Gina Poe that's done some really interesting work with this at UCLA. Um, something really specific about tr- transition to REM sleep or REM sleep itself that allows us to take memories that are short-term 
um, that we and then consolidate them from our hippocampus, which memory is where memories are formed, and put them in our cortex where memories are stored. Mm. Um, so, so if you like interrupt somebody's REM sleep over and over and over again, you can disrupt their ability to remember things or wow. to, to create a memory. Wow. So real quick, the cameras are overheating. We're going to keep the audio rolling because okay. I love this. And uh, we'll bring the cameras back in when there's something specific to show. Okay. But go ahead. Keep talking. All right. Hey. Cool. Cool. How do you feel about uh, coffee? So you know when motherfuckers really uh, tired. It happens to me all the time, right? I'll yeah. go to work or I'm on my way to work and I'll uh-huh. grab some coffee like I did this morning. I'll grab some coffee and it yeah. just, you know, kind of stimulated me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Is that bad necessarily? It's not. Well, coffee's of course, not a good thing, right? It's, it's, man, I will never have a simple answer for any of these. I apologize. Um, coffee itself may or may not be bad for you, depending on the environment. Gotcha. Okay. Um, it's, I think most people are better off avoiding it. I drink coffee. Um, I don't want to drink coffee. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't drink a lot of coffee. Like, I have one small cup in the morning probably five days out of the week. Like, I mean a, I mean a small cup. Like, like espresso? Uh, maybe like 10, not espresso itself, but like maybe 10 ounces of coffee. Okay. Yeah, just a, little, just a little guy. Like, my girlfriend, we make coffee together, and she'll have a bigger cup and I'll have a smaller cup. Mm. On day, like, I didn't have coffee this morning. On days like this, um, I I realize that I, I don't really need it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way that it tastes. I fucking love coffee. Uh, my girlfriend and I are kind of like coffee nerds. Mm-hmm. Like, we get, like, the small batch locally roasted organic you know, micro origin, yeah. you know what I mean? Like the, the real shit, the, the real, real, none of, Columbia. This, none of this, none of that, yeah. none of that, shit. bro. The, Pure. the, the, the five <laughs> foot by five foot plot of land in Kenya owned by a grandmother. You know what I mean? Like, like that real, real. Yeah. And, uh, and it's shit is delicious, man. It's hella good. Um, so I think that, you know what? I, I, I'm kind of hesitant to give any advice on this mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't really follow a particular I don't really understand it as much as I should. Mm-hmm. And I don't pay attention to it in my own body as much as I probably should. So I'm not really in a position to tell other people yeah. what they should or shouldn't do. Yeah. One thing I will say, something that I care about very deeply in terms of coffee, is that if you are going to get coffee, it's really important. I don't just source it like that because I like spending twice as much. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, the, it, it tastes as good. Yeah. It tastes better, way better, in my opinion. But, like the quality of the beans is actually pretty important. If you look, if you go to like Starbucks or something like that um, and you sample their beans, like if you do a laboratory sample of their beans, they actually have quite a bit of mold. Really? Uh. Quite, a, quite a bit of these things called mycotoxins as well that occur as a, as a byproduct of the processing that takes place because they get oxidized um, because of heat and the drying methods that they use. So... I noticed that if I drink Starbucks coffee or Pete's coffee or even the coffee that my parents have at their place, I get a headache almost every time. It's really, really reliable. Is it because you're tolerant to what you drink now? So when you try something different, it's like... Oh, because of the mold, no? I think think it's because of the coffee itself. At least that's that's the sense that I get. And so there, there are a couple of companies that do really cool stuff. There's a company called Purity or Purity Coffee. And they uh, make really good coffee that is laboratory tested. 
and they have all their laboratory results on their website mm -hmm. showing that free from all of that stuff and they give <clears throat> very specific temperatures at which to cook the to to cook the coffee brew the coffee yeah. to brew the coffee thing i couldn't come up with that word <laughs> but so like also like just in your cooking process at home like when you grind the beans you're oxidizing the beans you're creating free radicals that are detrimental to your health huh. when you cook it too at too high of a temperature you're you're burning all of the things that are good for you so you wow. should actually starbucks roast their coffee or brews their coffee at like 215 degrees basically but like anything over like 208 and you're actually destroying the good stuff that's in the coffee hmm. which is why if you get a super hot coffee it actually tastes different even after it huh. cools down yeah. not just because it's super hot because they burn the shit out of the coffee Damn. and so i cook i, I cook jesus christ I, br <laughs> I brew our coffee at somewhere between 200 and 202 degrees damn my girl's got this like super fancy kettle this this digital kettle where you no can way. like set the temperature oh no way and it'll hold it at that temperature what shit is tight Dude. i was really i'm like we do not need to spend a hundred and whatever <laughs> dollars on this kettle and i get it now yeah. Like I get, it's like, instead of, you know, playing the game with like, I need to turn the stove up, stove down, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like whatever. Or just having it be way hot or, you know, get super hot and then cool down too quickly. It's just like 202. You know, right, we're just right here at 202. Yeah. Pull it off the little, the little stand with the, the knob on it and. Wow. Well, I think coffee in general is kind of interesting too. Cause I feel like if you drink it, like kind of like you drink it in terms of like, if you love the flavor. But I feel like if people become dependent on the purpose of it waking them up, yeah. isn't that kind of similar to taking a drug yeah. that so eventually your body's not going to want to wake up without coffee? 100%. And then you actually reminded me, the other. so the other thing about when I do have coffee, I always wait at least an hour after I wake up. Huh. So you're already up and mm. energy's I never, And I, I have to have already gotten sunlight on my eyes. I have to have already moved around a little bit. Like I'll make a coffee drive to work, get to work, sit down at my desk, and then have my first sip. Wow. You know oh, wow. What I mean? Like I'm, I, because I, I wake up, I don't need it. You know what yeah. I mean? I think that's, that's a really, you know, maybe sort of working backwards, it's better to think of it like this, is if you're waking up and the first thing you think about is I need a coffee, there's something wrong with the way you're living. Yeah. Like you shouldn't, you should as a human be able to tackle basically anything based on your own biology, right? Like we, we are remarkably able individuals so um like if you're relying on something that you would not normally have yeah in nature mm -hmm. like we didn't spend millions of years right like drying out these very particular beans on these <laughs> webs and then like after you know a couple of days like getting them and grinding them up and getting water and putting it over fire yeah. and like all that because for the vast majority of that time, fire wasn't really a thing. And then, yeah. like, agriculture wasn't really a thing until a couple thousand years ago. And so it's, it's like, totally a modern advent that has the potential to be done well and maybe can offset some of the challenges of modern-day life, but should be done with respect to where we came from. Yeah. yeah. And anytime that you're relying on something to get you out of bed, you should probably look at yourself. Yeah. It's probably something there that you should, you know, think about. Mm. Well, I yeah. bet having those cold showers too probably wakes you up real quick. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. That's yeah. the first thing I think about. Yeah. Shower. Yeah, I mean it's it's. I just I've never felt better in my life than I do right now. 
which is saying a lot because yeah. I've like I've had some really low lows. Like mm-hmm. you, you and I have talked about yeah. some where I come from, and it's like being on the other side of any of those experiences was a remarkable high. Yeah. You know, just because the absence of pain is really amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But right now, I just I feel really dialed into my body. You know, and yeah. that's that's for a guy that like does so many things that are actually pretty counterintuitive to health. Like I work at a job where I sit basically all day long, five days a week. You know what I mean? It's terrible for you. It's terrible for you. And uh, I do enough other stuff right, right now, that uh, I mostly feel excellent, Mm -hmm. which I think is more than a lot of people who have desk jobs can say. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Like basically everybody I know that has a desk job has a health problem. Wow. Like a significant health problem. Huh. Makes sense. I mean, yeah. shit, think about it. How you sit, your back starts to get messed up, maybe your neck. Right. And the lighting environment the whole time. Wow. We, like humans evolved from apes because we started walking upright. Huh. Right. Like the, the, back. <laughs> the, the thing that makes us humans, mm-hmm. aside from the mitochondria that we store in our heart and in our head, is our bipedalism, right? We stand upright. And so like being in this position all day long is awful for you. Yeah. It's awful for you. I mean, it's really, um, on a physical level, it creates physical stress that creates psychological stress. And that sort of loop kind of repeats itself over and over again. A couple of other great thinkers in that sort of space are this guy named Naudi Aguilar, um, with a company called, or a, a, a group called Functional Patterns. And he's kind of an asshole. Um, but in a great way, like I say that just because like, he's kind of hard to stomach for a lot of people because he's really blunt. And I think some people think he's arrogant and I think that he just believes in himself and is sick of other people's shit. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't, I'm tired wasting my energy. Like for the most part, I'm, I subscribe to this idea that if you can be nice, you should, like if you're choosing to just be mean because you're too lazy to try to think a little bit harder about how you could say something nicely, yeah. then you're just kind of a lazy piece of shit. Like yeah. that, that, that's what it comes down to for me. But I can agree with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like if you can say something in a nice way and the difference between doing it and not doing it is you like taking like another second to pause and think about it mm-hmm. and you choose not to do that, it just means you're selfish and lazy. That's yeah. all that means. Um, anyway, my opinion, you know, whatever. So I think, I think Naudi is just like, He's brilliant. I, I, I reserve that word, you know, for very specific people. Like, he's brilliant. He's yeah. totally revolutionized the human movement. And um, he's gotten a lot of, like, criticism and flack and ridicule from the fitness industry, which is this multi-billion dollar oh, yeah. industry that is really, you know, about aesthetics and selling exactly. supplements. Yeah, pretty much. Um Whereas he's offering people the, like he's, he, he, look at some of his before and after pictures. He's like full on fixed scoliosis. Damn. No way. Like, like curvature of the spine before picture, after picture, hmm. right? Like people who are wow. wheelchair bound, who are doing backpacking trips now. Wow. Sheesh. In like nobody shows results like this dude. Yeah. Nobody, and it's not it's not even close. Like you know nobody, nobody shows results really except yeah. for like oh I lost body fat here and exactly. I increased muscle mass here. But like what is that doing for your function? Well, it's 
funny that you say that because the whole reason that I got into personal training when I was, was a personal trainer was because in middle school they did the whole like eye exam, ear test, and they tested for scoliosis as well. Yeah. Um, they said that I had scoliosis. Yeah. And at that point I was like, what? No one else had scoliosis. <clears throat> Excuse me. So not going to lie, there was a huge insecurity involved with that. Sure. What, I'm a little the brace? No, not. Thank God. Um, so when she I was in middle school. doesn't do anything anyway. <laughs> for real. Um, really? so, yeah. I mean, anyway, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as a middle schooler, of course, insecurities, whatever. Um, so I started to work out because like, oh, well, there's a potential. You could fix it through working out. So when I heard that, I was like, potential? Shit, let's do it. Right. And I, the whole reason I started working out since 12 years old was to try to fix scoliosis. Yeah. And I recently went back to the uh, chiropractor, I want to say two years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, he was like, oh, yeah, your back looks fine. I was like, oh, how, what with the scoliosis? He's like, you had scoliosis? It's like, yeah. I was like, oh, well, nothing there. You fixed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn. Of course, it wasn't sev- like super severe. Yeah. Um, but it was there. Yeah. Um, and I pretty much fixed it. And I was like, dope, mission accomplished. Yeah. Well, the, the, the human body is a sack of bones, right? Yeah. Like held together by muscle in a particular way. So if you can activate the right muscles in the right way, then you can manipulate your sack of bones in whatever way you want. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. And that's kind of the whole premise of Naudi. It's like, and first of all, that's amazing. And it explains why you're always in better shape than basically anybody else I know. <laughs> um, but like... The reality of it is, is, is that's, that is somebody figuring out something that's wrong with them. And then rather than, you know, even as a young kid, like listening to like, oh, you got to wear this brace, like just following your intuition. Yeah. Like, no, I mean, I feel like I can probably do this on my own if I just do a little bit of this yeah. and some of this and right here and, you know, build strength to support that postural change. Mm-hmm. You know, I think too few people listen to their gut like that. Yeah. You know? And as a result, like you've got a healthy body. Yeah. You know? Um, man, <laughs> Body's that's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, so now now these stuff is just like ridiculous. So what? Kind of go into it a little bit because I'm very curious after hearing him okay. like with his. This, yes. So he obviously fo- focuses on uh, functional movement and kind of strengthening muscles to enhance posture or fix. Or? So I'm gonna butcher this. Yeah. <laughs> so anybody who is like an expert on functional patterns who's listening right now you know, sue me. Um, <laughs> uh, work, um, sort of rests on the idea that humans have, um, as a cornerstone of their being, um, a couple of particular movements, right? Walking, jumping, and throwing, mm-hmm. right? Some things that really separate us from, you know, because there were hundreds of thousands of years where we defended ourselves by throwing rocks and spears and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like, So with that in mind, he thinks that all exercise should support those movements. And if it's not supporting those movements, then it's outside of what humans evolved to do and therefore potentially counterproductive. Yeah, because the whole body is covered in a web of tissue called fascia, right? And those, um, it connects, it allows for um, these sling systems that exist between opposite sides of your body to connect to one another. So I have fascial tissues from my wrist on my right arm that go all the way down to my my, uh, ankle on my left leg. And the human body sort of acts like it operates as, as a vortex, right? Like it um, the, the leg doesn't just go like you're, we sort of move in this plane, right? The sagittal plane, but, 
Um, in order for that to happen, you've got rotations that occur at the femur. Yeah. Right. So anyway, his idea that like, you know, these one dimensional movements are counterproductive for human health. And I think that that's shown by all of the injuries that people in bodybuilding and in the fitness oh, world should sure. come to. Well, I was going to, not to cut you off, but like yoga. Yeah. They do a bunch of like yeah weird, not yeah. weird shit, but like, you know, things that supposedly are supposed to help them, but those aren't natural po- positions to be in. No. I And I agree with that. I actually did yoga for a long, for a couple of years. My girlfriend is a yoga teacher and she um, has... Like sort of, um, oh, is that you? No, it's yeah. that's me. Right. <laughs> Getting hungry. Eight a.m. Um, there's a. Uh, I don't want to go too far into into like her story, but she's had to reckon with, you know, seeing some of Naudi's stuff mm-hmm. and having to, or like, and that being very persuasive for her of yeah. recognizing that, like, oh shit, like. You know, I've seen, you know, like the practice of yoga is more than just like the movements, right? The movements are the asanas are just the, the physical forms, right? But yoga is, yoga is also about energy. It's about connecting with yourself. It's about yeah. community. There are a whole bunch Breathing. of things and the philosophy of yoga. There are a whole bunch of things that are really valuable there. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop short completely of saying her opinion because I don't know if I understand it completely. Yeah. But I will say that um, as a yoga practitioner, she has come across these principles and found that there's a lot of truth there. And a lot of people in the yoga community struggle with that. They're sort of indoctrinated in the same way that doctors are, the thinking that, no, this is the modality that heals and whatever. But like, I've never really seen somebody get physically healthier in a sustainable way from yoga. Mm -hmm. I think I've seen people... And and this is me. I'm not saying that it's not happening. People are going to be pissed when they hear this. <laughs> um, and I did yoga for like two years. And yeah. I, I like was injured constantly throughout that process. Like I stopped doing yoga because I was, you know, practicing handstands. And I fucked my wrist and my, my forearm up super bad. Um, and of course, it's about the practitioner. And it's about warming up and blah, blah. People are going to make all these arguments. And I get it, Right. But I think if you look at the average of, you know, most yoga practitioners, most of them are injured Hmm. or have an injury. And um, this idea of like being, I heard that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My stomach is going off. Uh, I actually got to take a leak. Yeah. No, do you guys want to take a quick bathroom break? Yeah, let's do that. But real real quick, just the last principle about yoga is I think that, you know, if the body is a sack of bones held together by specific muscle tension, Mm -hmm. right? Very specific tensions holding a bone. Oh, loosening it up too much. Right? Naudi calls it being hyper flaccid, right? Rather than being flexible, you're flaccid, right? You don't have control over your body's posture in the way that you should because you're just generally vaguely stretching everything, which isn't a good idea. Huh. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll be back in just a second here. Thank you. We are back. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back. It was a great team bathroom break. It was. A little intermission. Teamwork. (laughs) Okay. But you were saying, so you kind of wanted to get into uh, the fasting. Oh. Because I've mentioned it before on here, but uh, now that we got the pro. I'm not a pro, man. I'm a guy that, that... reads a lot um yeah so there are a whole bunch of people in the in the like fitness community who do this omad lifestyle one meal a day mm-hmm. omad time out time out time out time out you said one meal a day yeah 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I had to wrap my mind around that. Yeah, no, it's 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 a definitely a um it's a break from the normal yeah. in the US where we uh were the the kings and queens of snacking. You know what I mean? Like we <laughs> yeah. should be eating all day long. All day all night long sometimes, yeah, you know, yeah. in bed. And so there is uh, a significant body of evidence showing that prolonged fasting, which can be more more than just the eight hours that you fast every night when you sleep, right? Because that's a fast, mm-hmm. right? That's why they call it breakfast. You break your fast. Huh. Um, boom. I knew that. Boom. Actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But that, that's so, dope. So, so if you break do fast. like prolonged fasting... Um, you are likely to um, turn on this process called autophagy. And it's a process by which, you know, within the cell, there's this thing called the lysosome. And the lysosome is like your recycling center. And autophagy is this process by which, you know, broken down parts or old parts from within the cell are taken into the lysosome and broken down into spare parts. And those spare parts are used in the future for, you know, whatever. those amino acids are used for other tasks later on, whatever. But autophagy is a normal part of human existence. It's important for us to be able to replace the different cells throughout our body and the different parts of our cells throughout our body. So there's some evidence that that process is helpful and is good for you because you're, you're clearing out damaged stuff that would cause problems in the future. Mm-hmm. So... That's one piece of it. And a lot of people get focused on that one principle of, you know, eating sort of being this metabolically expensive and financially expensive thing and eating fewer meals and in a shorter window so that the body has a chance to spend more time in autophagy and do more cellular recycling. Hmm. So there's not anything wrong with that. But I, I sort of consider myself to be um, like an environmental neuroscientist. Mm-hmm. So I think about what may have driven the body to develop this adaptation, this ability to do that, right? So <clears throat> we have, in addition to... Um, our ability or need to do to produce autophagy, we also have multiple different ways that we can, um, you know, create energy, right? Mm-hmm. We, we can use glucose and use glucose to create ATP, or we can um, engage in this process where we're using fat for energy, go into ketosis, mm-hmm. where people are using ketone bodies to convert fat to energy. Okay, it's a whole other thing. Like being in ketosis is a whole other sort of corner of the fitness world. Yeah. And basically with that, where you deplete your glucose stores, which come from carbohydrates, simple sugars, fruits, grains, whatever. When you deplete the amount of glucose in your blood and when you deplete the glycogen that's stored in your cells and in your liver, glycogen is just the stored version of glucose within every single cell. Then your body recognizes that and says, we're out of food. We need to start burning fat for fuel. Yeah. Right. Tapping into your natural food stores. Right. So the big question always for me is why, why would the human body do this? And, and if you think about, uh, the way that, 
especially humans that moved out of Africa like 1.9 million years ago, they didn't have access to growing seasons mm-hmm. all the time. They didn't have access to um, sort of foraging and whatever, like all the time. Whereas huh. in, in parts of Africa, you can forage for food or you can grow food or you can fish or whatever basically all year round, mm-hmm. right? But if you are in northern Iceland or, you know, let's let's call it um, just northern Europe, whatever, and it's November and you are moving from place to place because we're not yet sedentary, right? There's no agriculture. There's no food storage. There's no farming. Fishing's not really a thing. What are you going to do for food? Your body needs to be in a position where it can maximize what it has for days at a time while you look for something to eat as a survival tool. And it's also equally important during that time that the body is making itself as metabolically effective as possible. So making yourself smaller, right? Because you're burning your own fat, Mm. right? And at the same time, you're getting rid of all of the stuff at the cellular level because you're in autophagy, because you're fasting, or you're relying on on um, fats alone that you're getting every couple of days. You're fasting more often, so at the cellular level, you're becoming more effective and m- more metabolically effective. So all of those things sort of fit together. So for me, like fasting and ketosis go hand in hand, and they should be done cyclically. Yeah. They should be done seasonally, right? Mm. And it should. And people who have mitochondrial haplotypes that are from Northern Europe or emerged out of out of Europe are more likely to benefit from that experience than somebody whose ancestors are from Africa, mm-hmm. right? Like, because your your physiology has adapted to expect a certain environment and a certain type of food, right? And you will be best equipped for um, responding positively to those conditions, mm. okay? So for me, and all of this gets way more complicated because that's if you're connected to the environment, yeah. right? Like that's if you're living a life where you get sunshine all day long and you're active and blah, 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 and you're sleeping well. But what if you live like this under blue lights all day long and you're at a desk job? Then what? And temperature doesn't change all day long because we have air conditioning and heating and we just keep it at 70. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like people it's who tricky. say like fasting is the answer or ketosis is the answer or the Mediterranean diet is the answer are all equally full of shit mm-hmm. because it's, it's condition dependent mm-hmm. and not everybody's condition is the same. Not everybody's environment is the same. Not everybody's biology is the same. Um, so it really is a personal journey with figuring out what works for you at this point. I think the, the one thing that I will say is most important is, you know, stopping eating earlier in the day is, is best because that affects your ability to sleep and eating is a daytime signal right? You don't, you shouldn't be eating at night. It's not a nighttime signal, Hmm. right? So the most important thing for me at this point is not eating once the sun has gone down or not long after the sun has gone down. So you don't eat dinner after what? Not typically. No, like, like eight at the very latest. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So if the sun is going down at six, I try to be done eating at six, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, and I get home because I start early. I get home from work early. I'm usually home by like three or four. Mm-hmm. So I usually have two big meals and that's it. I have one. I, I'm now, right now I'm doing the counter, the exact opposite of what I was doing a while ago. Cause I used to do the one meal a day thing. I would not eat until three o'clock. I would eat a huge meal from three to four, have a little snack, maybe at like four thirty, and then be done. 
Hmm. And energy-wise, did you feel better? Oh, I mean, I felt real good because one of the things that also happens when you're not giving your body food is your body's producing a bunch of stress hormones because you're saying there's no food available. We need to be hyper aware and we need to be active and we need to be moving around looking for stuff. Mm -hmm. So that can become a problem over time if you're constantly stressing your body. Right? Yeah. So right now I wake up, take a cold shower, go outside, come back inside, cook some food, eat, go to work, have maybe a snack. Like I'm, I'm the, I'm the kid that brings the weird food to lunch. You know what I mean? Like I, like I'll eat a can of sardines and a pack of olives. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, <laughs> like I, so it's, it's winter time. So I'm eating a ton of fat. Mm-hmm. Like I just basically eat all fat animal meat and like, I don't eat, I'm, you know, people are going to not like this, but I don't think vegetables are terribly important. Well, I've read a lot of research recently that vegetables aren't actually that Great for you. Yeah. yeah. No way. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so we know something as kids when we're like, fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. Yeah. I think, so I think that there are certain, um, again, like the most important thing is eating with your season and eating with your environment. Mm. So like, you know, if, if tubers and like carrots and potatoes and stuff are growing in your environment, then it makes sense to eat them Mm -hmm. under certain conditions. You're not, you shouldn't be eating bananas in, in December. You know what I mean? At, you know, in, in Baltimore, it doesn't make any fucking yeah. sense. You know what I mean? Because under no conditions would bananas grow anytime in Baltimore. Right. But especially yeah. like in the winter, it doesn't make any sense. Your body is not equipped because here's the thing, the lighting environment that you exist under, and this is, you know, in an ideal world, like naked outside in the sun, yeah. the lighting environment that you exist under will determine how well your body extracts calories and ATP from glucose versus calories and ATP from fat, mm. right? Wow. So your your ability to produce energy from a particular calorie source is dependent upon your environment and your connection with that environment. Mm. And your mitochondrial DNA. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's just, there's no simple answer. So fasting, good, great tool. I think it actually has some promise as a, as a tool, as a, as an early treatment for cancers, as an early treatment for Alzheimer's dementia. I think it, there's some interesting stuff there. For sure. Um, but as a, like, I'm going to do this every day, all day, you know, all year long, I think it has a potential for maybe being harmful. Yeah. Um, and it should be cycled. Huh. For sure. Interesting. Well, it's it's funny that you say that too because uh, Jordan Peterson, who someone yeah, I looked him up after you sent my boy my boy Adam sent me some stuff on him. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I love him. But yeah. he actually had a lot of autoimmune diseases along with his daughter, mm-hmm. um, and he tried the all meat diet, carnivore diet, yeah, carnivore diet, and he said all of his autoimmune diseases yep. vanished. Yep. Damn. And his his daughter used to be same situation. Uh, she was the one who put them onto it, mm-hmm. and all her symptoms vanished. And they mm-hmm. said, like, if they eat one thing outside of that now, they'll be, like, screwed up for a month. They'll be mm-hmm. depressed. Things will pop up. And um, I think one of the reasons, not only because the all-meat, but I think it's similar to fasting. Because if you're on an all-meat diet, mm-hmm. you're, you, you're very limited to what you can eat. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to be eating all day long because yeah. you don't have meat around And you're more satiated long. for a longer period of time. Exactly. Meat will keep you full longer. Cool. Yeah. So, so I think that a big reason that his autoimmune disease and kind of got fixed was because of something similar to fasting. This is kind of off topic, yeah, maybe. but similar realm. I had a coworker who said uh, he bought some chicken and it was bruised, right? And he's saying, 
he, he what he was saying was the stress that the animal was in. If he eats that bruised chicken, does he absorb Take that stress? Yeah, because he's like energy doesn't die. And I I don't know if this is all over the place with what he's mm-hmm. saying, but I was like thinking about it like, hmm. I really like those kinds of questions because it's interesting. We have no it, fucking clue. As yeah, you know what I mean. It's like, but it's there's there's definitely something. So energy doesn't die, right? It's either, it's just moved or or transferred. Yeah, transfer. It's turned into something else or it's moved from place to place. Um, I have one question: What is bruised chicken? Or just bruised meat. So you know how when you look at a piece of chicken and it looks like it's bruised, like it's discolored? So I think the greater thing that he's talking about is like, you know how people are like, oh, well, if the cows go through a painful death death when being converted to meat, that stress of that death is still tensed. Because when a cow dies, right, and then like it sees the death coming, it tenses up. So that meat gets tense and all that like stress locks into place. So they're saying that stress of the death converts into the food when you eat it. So you're taking on that stress. <laughs> Might be a little far fetched, right? No, I mean, I mean, but I, shit, I, I don't like know. that kind of thinking generally yeah. because there's something intuitive about like um, we know that you know, as an example, a stressed human is typically not a healthy human. Yeah, right. Uh, so we we kind of get that like stress is bad, and we're getting the sort of premise there is that the quality of our food is going to determine the quality of our life. Yeah, again, and huh? and, and there's you know that. That is not, I would just give, I, it's not that that is inherently wrong. I would just give it far less weight than I think mm. most people would. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that I'm like the epitome of health or anything like yeah. that. Like there are some things that I don't do right. Or, and, you know, I, I'm i very open to the idea of being wrong. I've had my mind changed a lot. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, f- first of all, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen a bruised chicken before. I don't, <laughs> I'm like really caught up on this. Like, I don't know what that Google looks, it. I don't Google know what it. that looks like. I'm about to Bruised right meat. Now. Bruised um, meat. Because, because I just, I'm not sure what that is. Uh, my girl's going to be looking at my search history like, what were you doing? <laughs> bruised chicken meat. Here we go. Yeah. Oh, so kind of bloody. Is it safe discolored? to eat poultry with bruise marks? Uh, Looks pretty nasty. <laughs> I've never in my life seen this. <laughs> well, I I think it's kind of interesting. Wow. Holy that, shit! Yeah, I wouldn't eat that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! I think it's super interesting though that you kind of keep going back to the idea that, like, even with this topic, um, that there's so much more into it into building a healthy lifestyle Mm -hmm. because kind of touching back on the jordan peterson thing like he tackles a lot of things that are going on in today's society in terms of psychological health Mm -hmm. and people always kind of pinpoint these certain things and kind of like it's the the know-all be-all type of situation where like this thing is going to revolutionize your life and getting caught in that kind of stigma i feel like it's very limiting because even you're saying it now it's like yeah well like diet and this is important this is important but you need to do it all yeah you can't, if you put too much validity into one single thing, mm-hmm. it's just going to slow you down. Because you're like, right. oh, well, this one thing is going to fix me, and I don't need to worry about anything else. I think you get caught in kind of that, that trap. Yeah, and I think it's easy for, I mean, we're, we're, we're just so susceptible to it. Like, we're trained to think like that. Yeah. You know, we, we build a world that satisfies really profound immediate gratification and, like, short-term results and... Um, you know, just in the, like, I want to look up a picture of bruised chicken. I can do it because I have the information in yeah. the universe available on my phone. And I can 
like I, I can access anything right yeah. now. I should be able to do, the, I should be able to fix everything right now mm-hmm. yeah. and, and easily. And the truth about this, um, you know, particular dimension of health is that like, I mean, in any dimension of health is again, like as complicated as this is, we know how to operate it because we built it. Talking about his phone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. No, you're fine. No, I got him. Yeah. I, I, was, I was on the right. Yeah. Well, no, I'm okay. sure it's the audio listeners. Oh, yeah. The cameras no camera. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? Um, <laughs> like, we, we understand how this was built, and so we can exploit it maximally. Mm. We don't understand how the human body was built. We don't understand, like, how the human, how human evolution happened. Like, we have some clues, and we have a lot of good information about, like, when things happened and you know all that but we can't create a human life Mm. right we like we even with stem cell stuff like we there are a lot of things that we count on the stem cell populations doing on their own that we don't fully understand we just know that under these conditions these things happen the human body is more complicated than everything on this planet put together a single human person because and it's the only thing that we can say that about is because we 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 do not understand it at a fundamental level. And so this idea that a human mind that we don't understand would be able to come up with a solution for a problem that it doesn't fully understand, mm-hmm. it to me is, is pretty stupid. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense and it's, it's, Again, I think it all comes back to money, whether intentionally or not, like breaking out of this paradigm is going to be so hard because there, you know, the pharmaceutical industry and the communications industry and all that, like we're talking about hundreds of trillions of dollars, yeah. right? Like a lot of people's a, lives on the line. So much built around it and into it. And, mm-hmm. and that paradigm, it, it markets itself as a, as a toolkit that offers easy fixes. Mm-hmm. That's why they that's why they get people hook, line, and sinker of like, oh, you have diabetes, you need this. Oh, you have cancer, you need this. And I think that the the again the efficacy of that approach, regardless of how easy it might feel in the moment, it reveals itself in disease outcomes. Mm. We're we're you know we do a bad job. I think the American public and, the, and the, the, the global public in general should be pretty upset for all of the hundreds of billions of dollars that have gone into biomedical research. We, we just don't have anything to show for it. Yeah. You know? Damn. So, again, like, it's exactly like you said. People don't like the fact that it's complicated. Yeah. And, you know, tough shit. Yeah. that's the way it is if you if you are interested in health you really have to like cons- sustainable health it's my opinion that you have to really be committed to this idea that it's not going to be simple and it's probably going to change yeah because we know so little mm-hmm. and it's such a complicated topic that we're discussing so you have to be willing to admit when you're wrong mm-hmm. you have to be willing to ask questions and look like an idiot and you have to be willing to work really, really hard 
at implementing things, trying them for yourself and doing your own experimentation. Mm -hmm. Not just like, I'm going to try this and this and this and this and this all at the same time and see what happens. But like, be strategic. Do one thing. See how you feel. Mm -hmm. Wait a month. Don't change anything else. Be a scientist in that regard. Take notes. Mm -hmm. Ask questions. Do the reading. Think about it. Don't be a fucking sheep. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if somebody if somebody says something to you and it's like, oh, this is good, why? Yeah. Like, uh, oh, okay, why? Explain that to me. Yeah. And if they can't explain it to you, like what business do they have telling you that it's the right thing to do? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like the information that I offer up, I offer up always with the, the caveat of like, I could be totally wrong. I don't think I am. And that's why I'm taking the time to talk to you about it. Yeah. Um, all of the information that I've gathered over the course of the last few years and the research that I've done and just logically the progression of how everything fits together tells me that this is the way of the future. And for that reason, I feel confident sharing it with everybody. Mm -hmm. But it still always comes with this acknowledgement of like, yo, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. And, um, and it's not simple. It's not easy, but everybody, sh if I make a recommendation to you, the first thing you should ask is why. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, why is that? And I mean, every time you and I've talked about it, that's, that's been my experience. Like Travis and I have talked about some of this stuff a lot and he's always like, well, what about this? And what about this? And why isn't this like this? And oh, that kind of makes sense because of this. And he's constantly connecting the dots in that way. And I think that that's what ultimately yields a healthy person in the long run is being willing to think for yourself ask questions and see if you can connect the dots because everything is related. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the biggest things that I try to promote in general too is the curiosity Yeah. and kind of being foolish in that regard of For like sure. being willing to be wrong. And the, it kind of takes a strong person to be able to do that, you know, because a lot of people want to be that power position in every conversation. Right. But one thing that I admire in people like yourself um, and people like Jordan Peterson and all these very influential people in my life um, is that when they get hit with something that they, one, don't know enough about, or two, it presents an idea to them that they're like, oh, shit, this is kind of changing my thinking. They're willing to stop and be like, oh, I never thought about it like that. Oh, wow, you're right. Oh, I'm wrong. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Well, what else? And then they start to immediately pivot into wanting to know more about it right. instead right. of being coming defensive immediately. Yeah. You know, And I, th I think that uh, is a huge thing for any person trying to grow as an individual is having that curiosity for sure. that, that willingness to fail. Yeah. And I, I have the same kinds of like people in my life that I look up to for that reason, because it's and the people that I vibe with are people who are like, I don't, I don't need you to fucking know everything, dude. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't expect everybody to have all the information. Like, you know what you know. Yeah. yeah. Stay in your lane. Yeah. And, and at the same time, expand your expand, lane. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like be honest, be inquisitive, don't be an asshole mm -hmm. and let that be that, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be a really complicated thing. And I think that you're right. Like I would, like I was a real piece of shit. You, you didn't know me back when I was, dude, I've seen pictures and you, <laughs> it, dude, it, if you don't mind, go, I would go into that a little bit. Cause just looking at the sure, pictures and sure. hearing what you used to do in the past, yeah. like it's, oh. it's kind of a, a story that inspires. You yeah. Know? I mean, I, so that's my, my license picture from when I was 18. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. I was like, look different for sure. <laughs> yeah, I was about 160 pounds, uh, six feet tall. So like, I I mean, the long and short of it is I was a fucking dope fiend. You know what I mean? Like I, I was a drug addict 
and I started using and drinking super young. Um, I mean, super young by my standards. I know people who started way younger, um, but I was like 14, you know, and I, um, I lived here, I grew up in Pleasanton, but my, my, the school I went to was a Catholic high school in Hayward. And so I used to take BART uh, every morning, um, you know, to, to get dropped off at BART, take BART to Bayfair, Bayfair to South Hayward, you know, the 99 from Tennyson to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like that whole thing. And I, I ended up rubbing elbows with a bunch of people who lived in San Lorenzo and who lived in Oakland and in the Acorn Projects and the Dirty Thirties and like like a lot of people who were my age but had been part of like gang life and using and selling drugs mm -hmm. and something that I had been totally sheltered from my entire life. But I was so deeply insecure and so badly wanted to fit in mm -hmm. that I was just like... Intrigued by it. Oh, I mean, and I would lie about where I was from. You know what I mean? People yeah. were like, where are you from? I'd be like, I'm from I'm from Livermore, as if that was like slightly more hard than <laughs> yeah. Pleasanton. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and just like, at, at the end of the day, the, the, the long and the short of it is I was a deeply insecure kid who sought the recognition and validation, rec recognition from and validation from people who were around me and the people who were around me were starting to be people who were like selling ecstasy, you know what I mean? And like driving out to the city to like buy shrooms from this dude that was harvesting on campus at UCSF. And like, like I went from being, you know, a kind of a secluded, not very social, you know, kind of overweight, sad kid to like, overnight like having friends and having money and having people who wanted to be around me and it gave me everything that i had wanted growing up you know what i mean like overnight mm -hmm. and so i and from there my life just deteriorated mm. like year over year just worse and worse and worse i graduated high school only because i cheated my way through it you know what i mean like i would pay people to take tests for me i would pay people to write essays for me like the whole nine i guess i never paid somebody to take a test in class because it was a small school but i did at least one take-home test i paid somebody to take it anyway the point is uh i had no experience whatsoever with success none mm. right like like i i wasn't good at school I wasn't popular unless I had drugs. I wasn't popular unless I had money. I wasn't very good looking. I had super bad acne. You know, I lost a bunch of weight thanks to, you know, drugs. Fucking, <laughs> bro, like popping thizzles every day. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like wake, wake up in the morning and like take a blue dolphin type shit. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like really on some like just out there tweaker shit because yeah. really it's not, I'm not taking pure MDMA. You know what I mean? It's like mixed it, in there with a whole bunch of other shit. All kinds. Like I had as a 16 year old kid. I started uh, when I was, I uh, might have been 17 at that point. I had an old uh, Honda Civic hatchback, right? Um, and was, technically, you could fit three people in the back and, mm -hmm. and, and you know, a passenger seat up front. Tiny little, like an 86 Honda Civic hatchback. And uh, there was a period, of, most, most of the time, I, I operated in the red. Like, I usually owed a lot of people money. Yeah. You know what I mean, because I was constantly taking my own shit. And... Uh, there was one time where I was actually kind of flush. I had some money. It's doing cool. And I, I ended up over the course of like a, an 18 hour period taking probably like 15 or 16 pills. Whoa. Shit. And just like the whole, the whole time, like smoking and drinking and driving and like just, and I blacked out Damn. completely, completely blacked out. I came to making a left hand turn at the marina 
while the sun was coming up in San Lorenzo. Oh, you know what I mean? Like driving around, the, the, there's like the little rocky cliff to the right and like driving to the left to the parking lot mm-hmm. with a car full of people bumping, you know what I mean? Some Mac Dre or Hustle yeah. or whatever, you know what I mean? Just like geek, just gurped out of my mind, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like jaw hanging down and my eyes are all fucked up and I'm sweating through my shirt. And, and that wasn't even the end for me, you know what I mean? But like that's kind of where, where it took me yeah. of being like just fucked off yeah just like really really not in a good place yeah so got arrested um went to jail got into a treatment program uh stayed like sober for like i don't know maybe 30 days and then started drinking on the weekends because i didn't think i had a problem with alcohol i thought it was just about you know everything else yeah and got a job at Macy's, was working at Macy's, um, started, uh, let's see, how much of this can I share? <laughs> I stole a bunch of stuff and I got caught for it. And I signed a promissory agreement with the HR department, basically, that like I had been stealing a whole bunch of shit and they knew they were on me. Loss prevention was on me. They had an open file on me. Yeah. Like they, it was yeah yeah um and so you know began a restitution case with them and just in that moment like had a a moment of clarity of like fuck man like like my life sucks you know what i mean like this shit sucks yeah i like like, i'm like i'm 18 years old at this point and i'm like i you know i graduated high school barely i'd been going to junior college but like you know, for I graduated high school young. I graduated when I was 17. So I'd had three semesters at Las Positas College. I had a 0.42 GPA. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I would I would go to class and I would just, you know, I'd have decent intentions of like, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to do well. This is a chance to start over. And I would just fuck it up every quarter. Just stop going. Just mm-hmm. too busy getting high to go. And I got to this point where, and I passed one class. I actually passed a radio production class. I got a C. It was the only, <laughs> only class I ever passed in that, enti- in that entire year and a half period. Um, I'm just lying to my parents and selling drugs and getting fucking pistols pulled on me and like just like all kinds of stupid shit as a result of living a life that was, I mean, just so deleterious to every part of my life. Yeah. Every part of my health. And went to my parents and I, again, like I'm an 18 year old kid. And so I'm crying, man. I'm just like, I fucking hate my life and I did it again and I can't stop using and I need help. And my parents, you know, they wrote me that blank check one more time of like, all right, we'll help you, you know. Um, and I commend them, like the amount of courage that that takes as a parent yeah. to not shut the door. You know what I mean? To continue to reach out and show up to somebody for somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am just, you know, I'm here because of them, mm-hmm. right? Like their their willingness to help me even when I didn't deserve it. Yeah. So I went back to treatment, um, started going to 12-step meetings. And that was uh, October 22nd of 2008. And I've been clean for 10 years. Um, and that's, that's you know, the, the rest is, is history. It's been a long journey of finding myself and figuring out what I wanted to do and changing my mind and changing my mind and changing my mind and, and then kind of settling on a path. Mm-hmm. You know, and then one other little story that I'll share that was that was particularly challenging for me was that I – 
you know, after getting clean, I was at, I was at Las Positas. I was like a 4.0 student, hella good student, did super well. I got uh, full ride scholarship offers from Berkeley and UC San Diego. Um, and I mean, top of the world, man. I'm like 23 years old. Um, I'm in great, I've like lost a bunch of weight. I was in great shape because I, I went from 160 to 280 when I got clean. I, fucking, I, I went ballooned up, you know what I mean? <laughs> it was massive. Um, I guess it wasn't quite, no, I take that back. So I was 280 in high school before I started using, when I was playing football, oh, okay. I was two, I was 285 as a sophomore. And then I got down to 160 when I first, by the time I first got clean, I was 160. Damn. I think I probably only got up to like 240 or 250 when I when after I got clean, but it was still like an 80, 90 pound swing. Hell mm-hmm. yeah. You know That's what I mean? Like it was, yeah. you know, they talk about in, in, you know, in 12 step recovery. So I'm, I won't say the specific fellowship that I'm a part of just for, you know, anonymity's purposes, I guess, but, uh, or anonymity purposes, but they say often, you know, you, you know, like free basin cooking Coke on a spoon, you know yeah. what I mean? Or like heating up dope on a spoon for injection. And people say often in recovery, like, oh yeah, put down the spoon, pick up the fork, <clears throat> you know, cause people who get clean often they go from being so thin and then they just gain hella weight as soon as they get clean. Cause it becomes this sort of transference of addiction, right? Yeah. Like, okay. Um, <clears throat> Anyway, and uh, so I, I was like really on top of the world. Everything was going great. And the only thing that had re- remained was I still had really bad acne that I just couldn't shake. You know, I'd done what, I f- what felt like everything under the sun to try to resolve it. And at this point, I was like, like I was in good fucking shape. Yeah. I think that was the best like aesthetic shape that I had ever been in in my entire life. Like here I got, um, and I, uh, pull this up. Um, albums. Um, so I, I like lost a gang of weight. I got in hella good shape, but you can see, like, I still had like, hella bad acne, acne yeah. you know what I mean? And I, and I just couldn't do anything about it. I tried so many times. Um, and Sheesh. yeah, and, but I was feeling good. And so I'm like, All right, I gotta get, I gotta pin this down before I go to UC San Diego because you know, who knows what kind of women I'm going to meet. And yeah. blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like I really, at that time it was just like, I just, I want to look good. And so I started taking this thing called Accutane. Took that. And yeah. And so Accutane was a, the, the common drug name is isotretinoin. And it was a drug that was prescribed in the eighties and early nineties for treating acne. And a bunch of kids ended up committing suicide on it. Mm -hmm. Oh, Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. They gave me a warning when I got it too. They're like, you might want to kill yourself. Yeah. And so when you, when you get the drug now, you have to sign a contract with the state to get blood work done every month. And you, they like, I mean, it's a, it's a whole, like, it's a whole ordeal, like just getting approved for the drug. But I'm like, I'm 23. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I take hella good care of my body. I'm invincible. Like, nothing's going to touch me. I'm fine. Yeah. And I start taking this drug. Acne's better in like two weeks. Wow. You know, like yeah. it's instantly better. Yeah. It's I like a little bit red. And then within the within a month, it was gone. Jeez. Gone. And I mean, and I had been working on this for years mm-hmm. since I was like 16, 15 years. I mean, the fucking pills didn't help. You know what I mean? But yeah. Um, and so, so immediately I got the solution that I wanted, but I also, I started realizing, I'm like, man, I feel kind of like tired and mm-hmm. like foggy headed. And, and this is summer. I'd already gotten, I'd already declared UC San Diego and I was getting ready to move and I was spending my last summer here at home. And I was, you know, seeing all the people that I wanted to see before I left and hanging out. And, 
and uh, people that were close to me, I, I had started to confide in and being like, I don't, f- I don't feel that good. You know what I mean? Like some, uh, like maybe it's just the the pills and, mm-hmm. oh, well, I only got to take them for like six months and then, you know, I'm off and whatever. But every month they up your dosage slightly. Mm-hmm. So I go down to UC San Diego, I start and they up my dosage. And I go from being like, it felt like overnight, I go from being a 4.0 student in recovery, healthiest I've ever been. And I'm failing everything. I, I can't, like, I'm having conversations with people and losing my train of thought in mid-sentence. Mm-hmm. Like, I have dementia. Like, I feel like there's plexiglass in between me and every experience I'm having. Mm. Like, I can't fucking, like, the only thing I'm feeling is anxiety mm-hmm. and fear and depression. I'm not feeling anything good. I'm not feeling excited about the opportunity. Like, I, I had sort of built myself as being this person who knew how to, like, show up for the hard stuff. I was a yeah. full-time employee, full-time student, worked in restaurants 30, 40 hours a week while taking full-time units, while being in recovery and in a relationship and being, a, you know, in recovery, we have, you have sponsors and these sponsors show you how to work the 12 steps and guide you with their recovery. And I was sponsoring like 10 different young guys. You know what I mean? I was traveling all over the state, speaking at conventions. And I was oh, wow. like, I was like, I really was living the best possible life doing everything that one could possibly do to one grind as hard as possible and take care of themselves as, as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I've never plummeted. I, like even with drug use, like I've never plummeted that hard, that fast. Mm. I fucking tanked i thought about committing suicide my liver started to fail i was sick every single day at one point i woke up and i had lost the vision in my left eye like like maybe 30 percent of the vision in my left eye around the periphery had just decreased gone away like tunnel visioned everything around is just black and blurry right like headaches constantly like can't remember shit literally failed all of my first round of exams had to drop two of my Dropped one of my classes, took a pass-fail in the other class, and then got a C in the third class. You know what I mean? Coming from a 4.0 student, I'm taking yeah. like easy intro classes. You know what I mean? Like basic, basic shit. And I'm talking to people in my network, and this is why I'm a, I'm a strong proponent of not everybody has the experience that you need in order to get better. You know what I mean? Not everybody is in a position to advise you on your position. Because I had a bunch of people in my life who were very well-intentioned who were saying stuff like, oh, it's just the move. Yeah. You're just stressed. Uh, university is just harder. You know what I mean? Like, you just need to tough it out and be patient with yourself. Well, in the end, I was dying. It was deeper yeah. than the surface. I yeah. was dying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I got, off, I got off Accutane and nothing changed. Nothing got better. Still, it felt like there was a fucking fog around me all the time. The depression slowly started to lift. And then I found recovery from that. In, uh, in exercise and in meditation and in mm-hmm. changing my diet. And I got some things right. What I didn't realize then that I notice now when I look back at that experience is that I was also getting outside and I was working out every morning. So I was catching the sunrise every single morning and I was outside every single day. Mm. I was getting more UV light than I had ever gotten in my life, mm. right? Because I, I, I knew, I felt like shit anytime I was inside studying. And so I would go outside and I would go study by the beach. I would go sit at a park and I would study outside. And I, I had, was tanned for the first time in my life. And that's when I started to get better. Mm. That change of environment. Change of the environment. Wow. So, but I say, I say all of that really, and I think the, the reason that you brought this up is because I say all of that to say that um, any person, if provided with the right information 
has the potential to change their life in any way that they so choose. Mm-hmm. And when we provide misinformation in particular about health and diets and supplements and all that, we're making it really, really difficult for people who want to get better to actually get better. Mm-hmm. We're robbing them of the opportunity to improve their own life because we're giving them misinformation. Mm. And uh, I mean, I, I am not a product of my own willpower or anything like that. I had people who support me and you know, like I, my friend Christy, I was at a meeting up here in the Bay Area and I was kind of pouting about everything that had happened to me. I was home for winter break. And she came up to me. She's like, you know, I'm really sorry you're having a hard time. And, you know, I wish I could do something for you. But at some point, like, you got to stop being a victim to the story and move yeah, on. 100%. You know what I mean? Like, you got you to gotta own where you're at and do something about it. Because, yeah. you know, living in this place of, you know, self-pity and being morose and all that, like, it's not doing anything for you. Mm. And it's a delicate balance in when somebody's in that kind of situation of showing empathy and also holding them accountable. Exactly. Um, which is a hard, like those are hard values to hold in the same hand. Of course, yeah. Some people can't. can't Some take people that. can't take that. Yeah. No, and I couldn't either. I, I was like, fuck that. You know what I mean? You don't know You're what I'm. You don't know what I'm yeah. going through. You don't understand. Yeah. yeah. But eventually, like I had had enough recovery and had like had enough experience with taking responsibility for my own actions at that point mm-hmm. that eventually those words like they they settled in. Yeah. And, and it changed my heart, man. You know what I mean? Like that, that one conversation I think was kind of the, the beginning of the, what ended up being a, you know, two year recovery process for me Hmm. where it was like, man, I got clean. I did well. I finally, you know, began to believe in myself. I'm going to go back to school. And and then I got there and then I ruined my own brain and now I'm never going to amount to anything. And, and then recovered from that. And then, you know, that was also part of the defining experience of like, man, I don't want to go to medicine. I don't believe in, I don't believe in this paradigm. Yeah. You know, um, that was part of it for me anyway. So now it's like, man, I, I feel just like, you know, I feel grateful for those experiences as challenging as they were. I don't know if I, you know, if I could do it all over again, I think that, I think that I would. Um, but it's just like, I'm, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have the insight that I have to now now if i hadn't had those experiences i think your story is amazing bro Appreciate um, especially because from the first part of what we were doing and what we were speaking about and then to hear your background yeah. it's like whoa whoa whoa, whoa mind what blowing the fuck? <laughs> yeah you know what i mean because i'm from oakland i get off on bayfair every day i live right around the corner mm-hmm. from bayfair right now mm-hmm. that's where i live and i see shit all the time so a kid coming from pleasanton being in that environment you're probably seeing all these people that are doing way different shit you're like a culture shock like what yeah. the fuck's going on and to hear you know, where you were, bro, and you're at UCLA, and you, you know you, you're doing your thing, man. It's inspiring, bro. And it's, it. it's really cool because I, I definitely did not see that coming from me. Like, yeah, a lot of people don't. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, I, yeah. I throw a lot of people for for a curveball when I when I start talking about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Very Especially articulate, they, very they, intelligent. Appreciate and, it. Thank yeah, you, man. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really. I just, I'm, I'm so blessed, bro. Like I'm, I'm, I've been, um, I've had the right people in my life at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I really attribute like the vast majority of my success to that. It's the right people at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can look at basically any point in my life and I can think about what it might've been like if, you know, if these two people hadn't been there, yeah. if that person hadn't been there. And I'm, and I see that, 
you know, maybe it would have been fine. Like maybe it would have been okay, but like my road was made much easier by the experiences of those that came before me that guided me, mm-hmm. that, that held my hand and pushed me and held me accountable all at the same time while I was going through whatever it was that I was going through. So I can take, you know, I say thank you when people, you know, congratulate me on where I came from and, and all that. And I, and I mean it, and I'm, you know, and I'm, and I, I appreciate being recognized for that. And at the same time, I know that it's not like, it's not all me yeah. at all, at all, you know? And, and I think that that's part of what really motivates me um, as a scientist, even, and as a person and as a friend, um, where my, like my inner circle is hella small right now. You know what I mean? I used to like have a whole bunch of connections and I was all over the state and you know, whatever. And now it's like, I have like 10 people that I invest deeply in Mm -hmm. every week because I know that my capacity for doing good in their lives might materialize into significant change. Yeah. Right. And so I've, I've intentionally not cut people out or anything like that. I'm not saying that, but I only have so much time mm-hmm. and I've had to be somewhat selective in how I show up for, for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I'm not perfect. I'm so busy. I'm terrible to get a hold of, but even um, like I, I'm getting off track. My point is that, because of the experiences of other people helping me, I feel like I have the same obligation to do that for others. Mm-hmm. And my best, um, I'm at my highest capacity for doing that when I am deeply involved in a few people's life rather than superficially involved in, in a, a large number of people's lives. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think it, your story makes it you a lot more relatable to people like me or people that, you know, come from the inner city and, and not saying that you all the way come from the inner city, but you know, you went to school in Hayward. You I got some experience. Deal, yeah, yeah. You deal yeah. with a lot of shit that yeah. a lot of people from, uh, I would say like suburban areas don't deal with. Sure. So from hearing like what you went through and everything and you want, and the path you're on to be a scientist and everything, it just shows that like you can go through tough shit mm-hmm. and still, you know, come out on, on the, the winning, the winning side and chasing what you want to do. For sure. Cause I feel like a lot of, you know, uh, scientists and very intellectual people, they've never, or, or at least they don't open up to their past. Their past. No, it, it's, so it doesn't make them as relatable. You yeah. know what I mean? Science is not accessible to people who come from intergenerational poverty or from bad communities or whatever. You know what I mean? Like science is very much so a privileged thing, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't, and I don't, I don't take that lightly. Like I, I, my experience is nothing like somebody who, who, you know, grew up living, you know, in poverty who like maybe didn't have all of their family around or whatever you know mm-hmm. what i mean like not at all like i've i've been afforded so many opportunities because i was blessed by you know the circumstances that i came from yeah i do think i pr- i appreciate that it, i can i appreciate the fact that i can relate i can maybe reach across the board a little bit better than some people just simply as a product of doing some really stupid shit <laughs> yeah. as an insecure kid when i was young <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean but that actually gets into another problem of like Man, they're the repre- like like uh women in science and minorities in science are are profoundly underrepresented. Yeah. You know what I mean? And part of it is because like you know, I I had whatever it was that made it easier for me to bounce back. And most of it is like the right people at the right time with the right resources. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so while it's true that I believe everybody can bounce back, I believe that 
I also, I, I will not rob anybody of the, the challenges that they come from. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, because there's so much at play that I never have had to experience yeah. that I will never be able to experience that affects other people's ability to be successful that I can't possibly just say, oh yeah, you just got to work harder and then you can achieve whatever you want. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like help is needed. Right, yeah. for sure. Like yeah. that's our job. You know what I mean? And so yeah. when you see somebody that comes from a family like that and you see something in them and you see desire in them, it's our job as a community to come together and hold that person up so that they can have the same opportunities as everybody else. Because when somebody has gotten a, a head start just as a byproduct of like being white in this community or yeah. coming from affluence in this community, mm-hmm. like it's the job of the people with a head start and with privilege to to participate in a way that levels the playing field. Exactly. It's it's that's that's the only real way that I can participate in a way that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Because the truth is, you, you can do whatever you want if you work for it, but it's going to be a lot easier for me to work for it than it is the kid that grew up homeless. Yeah. yeah hell of hell of different situation oh yeah you know so like i've i've seen some shit and i've created some problems for myself mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean but i like I, I don't really come from a place of like you know my you know my parents aren't wealthy by it like my parents declared bankruptcy a couple of years back you know what i mean like they're not they live in a condo in pleasanton they're not in some like mansion you know what i mean like, i don't come from wealth but yeah. i certainly come from a family that was like stable and supportive enough and financially capable enough that when push came to shove, they could pay for me to go to treatment. They had health insurance for me to go to treatment. Yeah, and not everybody has that, and that can be the difference between life and death for somebody. Oh, for yeah, hundred sure. percent. So, sure. man, wow. Well, I think that's a as much as I want to keep going. I know. Great I'm, to yeah, wrap it up. I think yeah. I think we should tap out there. <laughs> Thanks, Scotty, for coming down. Great episode, man. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. For I want a quick me. shout out for him too. Um, he's the guy who did all the graphic design for our logos and stuff at Roastery Co. Um, super talented dude, graphic designer as well. Is there a spot? I know you have a website. Is there a place that people can get <clears throat> your information? Yeah, just go to my uh, go to my Instagram account. It's at Level Ground L E V E L Ground G R O U N D. Um, yeah, I'm kind of a man of many hats. Like you know, I've had I just do all kinds of shit. So you can you can see my uh, some of my my portfolio. There's a link to my website there. And I'm always talking about like super nerdy health stuff and food because I like to cook um, on my Instagram account. But yeah, you know, and so one thing before we go here too, you sent me an article one time about the circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, is there with all this stuff that you have, are you planning to make a blog post that people could potentially get? <sighs> yeah, on? yeah. So I got a, I have a, I have a document that I'm putting together for a couple of people on you know circadian biology and cold thermogenesis. Um, actually, for a friend who's dealing with some health stuff right now, and I, I need to make sure that if I release that material publicly, uh, that yeah, it's, um, it's very clear that I'm not a clinician and I'm not giving medical advice and that I'm citing all of the images that I use very carefully. At this point, it's just something that I'm building to help a friend make some decisions about their life. Mm -hmm. Um, But potentially in the future, I mean, I drop wisdom bombs sometimes Mm -hmm. on my my Instagram, so you should give it a follow. At level ground. At At level level ground. ground. Yeah. And also, so can I? Yeah, please. So... If you're interested in those blue blocking glasses, there's a company called Raw Optics, R-A underscore optics. So at Raw Optics on Instagram. And then there's uh, that company Trucy, T-R-U-S-I-I, that does the molecular hydrogen infused water, the little tablets that you put in your own water. That's at Trucy, T-R-U-S-I-I. And um, if you're interested in learning more about like mitochondrial health, I would recommend Dr. Doug Wallace. Doug Wallace, yeah. 
There it is. There it is. Cool. Thank Beautiful. you guys for having me. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Anytime.